Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Royal Crown Cola of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Lyrical Themes, Nihilism, Furby's Spiritual Transcendence. And I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Blood Moon Defibrillator. <laughs> Is that a, that's a New Game Plus item in Bloodborne, right? <laughs> Could be. No, I think I was thinking it's a pseudonym for my new uh, EMT-themed Black Metal Dungeon Synth project, where we have like songs about saving people from really gnarly accidents. Oh, man. That's... I mean, now that you've said it, even before we've posted this, someone has a tape out. Someone, they better. <laughs> <laughs> pro EMT, pro first responder dungeon synth. <laughs> Next, someone could do an anti first responder one called Let Them Die, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so I guess we gotta we gotta do a show. It's it's kind of nice because this uh, this whole show is um, yeah this is all like pretty kind of nice sounding records in a way. We've been doing so much like murky cavernous like black death stuff. It's kind of nice to have a little more of a chill episode for once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like remember when it was basically constantly kind of raw pagan black metal. Yeah, and you know what? I can never tell if it's just like we get burnt out on something or you move to something mm -hmm. else or if these are actual patterns we're tracking. You know what I mean? Pro probably a little of both. I definitely don't think there was as much good stuff in, in some of these veins coming out earlier this year. Like, the, clearly there is all this weird cavern, cavern, orth ortho cavern, whatever stuff. Ortho now. cavern, yeah. But um, I, I was thinking the theme for this episode might be like pre-autumnal. You know, we're getting to oh, August. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's getting yeah. a little, getting a little colder, getting a little more, uh, more yearning and epic. Uh, <laughs> and uh, those are those are things that we love on the show, being yes. yearning and epic. All right, <laughs> okay, so should we roll it in? Yeah, let's roll it in. So before we get to all the yearning epic stuff, um, I, occasionally when I'm on, you know, Metal Archives and I'm just looking for new releases and shit, new bands will catch my eye. And a new mm. band caught my eye. And uh, I, I checked it out, and it just seemed so strange. And then I hit play on Bandcamp just to see what it was like, and I immediately fell in love. Um, <laughs> this is... <laughs> this well, is I, I'm just looking at the name, and I'm already in love. Jesus yeah. Christ. Okay, so this is a Japanese band uh, that has just released their first record. Uh, a record called Nymphomania. Uh, the band is called Bloody Cumshot. And uh, the musical style is probably not what you're imagining from the aesthetic. So, um, got a, a fairly short song. Uh, it's less than three minutes, so I figured let's just listen to the whole thing together. So let's listen to the song Hate Fuck and see, let's see what Bloody Cum Shot has for us. Because, again, it's not what you think. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Oh man, that is that is more fun than I've had in a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fun. Uh, uh, I I have to read the Bandcamp description real quick. Oh yeah. Um, described uh, on Bandcamp. Immoral, extreme, melodic death metal project Bloody Cumshot based on melodic death thrash, Swedish death metal style. Burning orgasm metal with a hot and catchy lead guitar that pierces the brain with a roaring riff that no longer requires lyrics. Oh, I w- yeah, I mean, that's fair. This is burning orgasm metal, I would say. <laughs> the previous track is called Menstrual Chocolatier. <laughs> I just I I love the discordance between the the aesthetic and the titles and the the music. I love how the music is like a Children of Bodom record played at double speed. It's it's so fun. It's yeah. Why why can't you why can't you have lyrics like this with well you know like they're not exactly gore lyrics right? Yeah, it's, they're just kind of they're just kind of it's like Cradle of Filth cranked a little more death metal, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. a little more American. These don't really read like Japanese. Like, it sounds like it's written by, like, an angry dude from New Jersey. Um, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, uh, it's, so, 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 yeah, I guess if you want if you want to listen to Bloody Gumshot, check them out at uh, bloodygumshot.bandcamp.com. You can get this record. and There's, uh, there's only, one, only one person has publicly bought it, the user Invalid Dream Exception, who's an excellent account. First rate taste. Oh really? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it only officially released today, but uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully some people pick this up because like this brings me right back to like mid two thousand shit that's been mostly forgotten, and it's it's really cool to hear people carrying this on, and it makes you remember why you listened to that as a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, before we. Uh, Oh, Jesus. I gotta shake that off for a second. Just how ridiculous that is. It's so wonderful. Um, real quick, uh, the regular housekeeping uh, before we get into our rundown for today. Uh, social media. Follow us on, uh, or follow me, rather, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or follow the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And then uh, if you want to get even more involved in the uh, Terminus Co-Prosperity Sphere, you can help support us by subscribing on Patreon or Subscribestar. Uh, $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server where we discuss topics like, are the Lebanese really more sensitive than other people in surrounding countries, and how I would have <laughs> sex with Gene Hoagland. You haven't you haven't been on it a bit. These are actual. No, I was I was just going to say not based on the Lebanese guys I know. <laughs> exactly. no, no, nor the testament of Damar. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <It's>, uh, <laughs> things change. People change. Depends you know. how you define sensitive. Um, yeah. All right. So, uh, black metal guy, you got the first half of the show. Where are we looking at? All right. So we're starting off with some uh, some. Majestic stomping heathen black metal from Caverne. This is La Fin de Tout Le Chant, uh, the end of all the songs, or something like that, I assume. Uh, this is on uh, Resilience, and uh, it is pretty damn good. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, next up, 
is the split between uh, Terminus Bros, Moldurion, and Robes of Snow. This is uh, when the last forest has died, and it is out on Old Mill. Uh, one of the first labels that we sort of have, we sort of found on this show and have promoted since the beginning, and and you know, uh, Reese from Old Mill has been uh, real cool about standing by the show. Um, and Moldurion we reviewed last summer, right? Did we ever do Robes of Snow? No, we never did Robes of Snow. Yeah. We talked about them a little bit, and you talked mm-hmm. with Reese oh, about them on your Oh, it was on the Reese. Yeah, we featured some on the interview. The old oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So basically, like, these guys are, um, yeah, they've been in the Terminus uh, Cobra Asperity Sphere for a long time. Uh, and we're, I'm going to do an interview with them for this release also soon. But um, but it's just, they're both doing, let's say, very foresty black metal. Um, and, <laughs> Extremely. Uh, yeah and like sort of it you know i think both of them in different ways would be what the people what what pe- the pe- the bands on the atmospheric black metal channel think they sound like <laughs> exactly we gotta stop slamming atmo black people at one point but we'll do that when we get tired of it which will not be we'll do that soon. when they we'll do that when they stop <laughs> <laughs> All right, now getting to my side of the show. Uh, first record of my side of the night is going to be the debut record by Gautama Buddha uh, with Rebirth Part 1. Uh, this is an independent release from an Indian project, although we will we will talk about that when we get to it. Um, kind of post-black metal. Uh, a little bit punky, a little bit raw tape black, but I saw a ton of people bought it on Bandcamp, so why not check it out and talk about it? And then closing out the night um, in a, uh, a, we try to stay pretty contemporary, and this record is actually from much earlier this year, but uh, no one told us about it, and uh, we were we were like, yeah, this oh, was fuck a good it. find, dude. Yeah, we got to bring it back. Well, I mean, it's just it's outside the wheelhouse, so well, not ours, but of the show. Um, we have the new record by Swarm, with three R's, uh, titled I Dreamed, out on Long Legs, Long Arms Records. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, Swarm is a Japanese band of some some kind of nature, and we'll talk about what kind of music it is, but this is definitely on the, the very... Uh, fringes of the kind of content we usually cover, but we still think that um, it'll have a lot to offer. Our well, listeners. let's just say, just so they know, it's um, extremely unhinged music with a lot of blast beats. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll get deeper into into what that might mean when we get to that mm-hmm. section. <laughs> All right, and we are uh, getting things off to a thunderous start with Cavern's La Fin. De, sorry, rind up for French. La Fin de Tous les Champs, the end of all the songs, uh, on Resilience. And uh, so this band, Cavern, has been around for a while and is an important band in terms of influence. Um, I think for a long time was better known to the people in the bands than the people, uh, you know, the people around the scene. But I think now that's maybe not so much the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Cavern is, uh, shares its, well, it's, it shares its one member with uh, Necropole, which is the sort of the, the live, the more live multiple members outfit, which is uh, quite, po- has become more popular, I think, 
um, mm-hmm. more sort of straight ahead blasting melodic sort of uh, uh, you know triumphant melodic black metal um, and the uh, you know and then also there's a a couple guys from that circle or one guy from that circle and someone else are now doing a project called Cenotaph that is more I guess basically poppy mm-hmm. like very more polished and poppy but has the same kind of Sim- similar kind of uh, musical DNA, um, and uh, that was quite popular last year. Um, so it's been a it, yeah important cluster of bands. Um, there, it's at um, it's in this group of bands that were formative for the turn towards uh, yeah whether you want to call it the more raw and melodic side or the more triumphant or the more sort of solar turn in black metal. Uh, it's one of the root influences, um, along with, you could say, I don't know, along with Owl's Blood, who we mentioned a little while ago, or like Vothana, who are now huge, uh, but who were around in the early 2000s. Um, this is, you know, Cavern came out in around like the early 20-teens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was a good bit ahead of the nowadays sound. And uh, back then he was already doing stuff that helped establish that, but was drawing from a much deeper well musically and remains a cut above most of the stuff it's influenced. Um, as far as good, really good stuff, it has directly influenced. Um, so yeah, first this sort of worldwide trend towards this kind of stuff, just like heroic sounding black metal that's either pagan or raw medieval or whatever, right? Um, on the other side... Um, and a specific subset of that is the outlaw rock stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you've mentioned that some of it sounds French and the French stuff that it really sounds like is Caverne. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can definitely uh, see that. Right. Cause Caverne moves pretty stompy, mid tempo, raw, jangly, relatively clean tones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, house of first light, uh, was influenced by Caverne for sure. Uh, and, uh, Makwa Huitl. uh, and, I would guess something like Mortem is also kind of in this vein. Imagine just like a much more like, you know, like a power lifting version of this with like, you know, <laughs> axis of advanced drums, right? Well, this is um, this is pretty power lifting too. <laughs> th- that's true. Okay, what I mean is, yeah, and so is Mako. I mean, Mako Heedle, dude, is literally a power lift. I mean, I guess <laughs> everyone except me now is a power lifter. We're keeping it. We're keeping it. Uh, keeping it real <laughs> keep for the remaining. Keeping it real. The remaining yeah. soft bodies in black metal. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So the. Uh, so, so yeah, no, Mortem just has that really burly guitar tone is all I mean. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, so yeah, this is a, you know, like, as far as where this comes from, right, people say it's sort of, it's French, it sounds epic, highly melodic, influential on the nowadays sound. You might think, oh, well, it probably sounds like Seigneur Volant, and it doesn't, does it? No, it does not at all, actually, which is... It's surprising how it shares so much DNA in terms of, like, technique, but the the result out the other end is completely different. Yeah, you can hear, you know, like, you know, Hero Lauren and shit, and, like, uh, probably, like, you know, assume, like, those those early Toke records, probably, right, would be an influence here. Yeah, absolutely. That, that all, it, all the French love. Right. Yeah, those are those are definitely influences I detected. Like Herolorn was a big one, Toke also, but but also like kind of pared down. 
like uh, deliberately not as kind of wild and complex, a little more stately. Yes, without the flamboyance that is usually a hallmark of the French, right? Necropole partakes of that a bit more, but is still pretty straight ahead and blasty. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, this is, I would say that in terms of the mood, uh, I would file this under sort of, uh, you know, Frankish sounding French BM, right? More of a German or Teutonic mood, like uh, kind of like Autarky, who we reviewed a while ago, right? Mm-hmm. So as opposed to maybe, I don't know, a more Gallic sound, right? You know, like mute. I mean, not that mutilation sounds like it was made by the Gauls, right? But it sounds very, very French, like Paris French, right? Yeah, yeah. And whereas, you know, um, and... Uh, yeah, so, like, in, in terms of the influences, right, uh, I would say that Odal, who we reviewed a little while ago, is probably a big influence here. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, another band that's important for this kind of uh, driving, stompy, jangly format. Oh, yeah, well, Bill Skernier. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I think Bill Skernier is a huge part of the DNA here. Um, you know, because you can basically see this record as being composed of two essential modes, you know, which is stompy kind of Bill Skernier stuff. And I think very like uh, a, a real concentrated appreciation for what Burzum actually sounded like. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the most you know. and the best parts of it, I think. Well, yeah, you know, because we, we always talk on the show about how people imitating Burzum usually imitate imitate like a, a simulacrum of person mm-hmm. rather than the actual thing. But no, this actually sounds like the self-titled Burzum record a lot. Um, and then, you know, contrasting with those kind of slower stomping, loping parts, you've got the blast-oriented stuff, um, which is more melodic. And it, yeah, it's it's epic. It's melodic. There's a ton of, you know, emotion to it. But you're not going to confuse it for anything on, like, Antic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, it, because the distinction that I drew in the notes is that this this isn't chivalric, this is barbaric. Oh, know? for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is very barbaric. This is, like, 1000 A.D., kind of stuff. Oh, I swear, they, you know, possibly five, you know, 500. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. This is or 400. This is pre-Charlemagne, right? It's um Yeah, so it's yeah. It, but that's that's really cool because you've got this um this more like rough-hewn kind of like you know, rocky and not like rock and roll like stone like <laughs> uh texture to this music. Mm-hmm. That's well, the still... cover is kind of like that. The cover is just like a beautiful picture of like a mountain. And yeah, the yeah. three hooded figures, that, like, I almost wonder if it's some sort of Lord of the Rings illustration that we haven't seen, but it's it's a really good cover. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, mm. But yeah, so I I like the idea of you know it's it's gesturing toward the towards this um, this more barbaric, more primeval style of black metal, but it's still very French. But the kind of French melodies you're hearing on this record are almost like primitive sketches of what kind of nowadays very florid french black metal sounds like it it sounds Mm, like i like that yeah yeah it sounds like the earliest roots of those elaborated on in a different way oh and Um, you know instead of frankish i maybe should have said norman because that's where this project was originally from oh yeah yeah that's fair i just looked it up yeah but keep um so well, yeah, no, so, well, so obviously we both really like this. This is really cool. Um, and with my experience with this guy's um, previous work, I, I it's it's extremely well-rounded music. 
Um, you know, he's he's been in a few projects, but all of them feel like different shades of the same core idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not super familiar with, like, earlier Caverne stuff, but I, I guess the idea of this, at least to me, is, you know, the the barbaric origins rather yeah. than the the sort of, like, chivalric recent past. And oh. I think that's a cool idea that should be explored more. Yeah, it's like hanging... It's about, like, going to do sacred rites in caves. Or, like, you yeah, know, the there's... demo was like, Au Trifon de... Ha- de oh, Oh boy, boy, shit! I can't see. I can do it, but I have to like wind up for it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> du oh, oh bois. Uh, and there's something about the high woods. You know, very nature. This has always been sort of very naturey, but not in the naturey black metal way. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that one was just a little more, a little more just like driving punk beat kind of stuff, but pretty similar. Um, yeah, yeah, it's got this. It's got this like almost Iron Age quality mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, that's it's extremely cool. Yeah, it's pretty strictly analogous to like some of the more, uh, some of the more gorked pagan Norwegian stuff, like Hades, or uh, you know, or like you know the Polish stuff, right? Graveland. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me uh, let me play a sample. Um, so right off the first track, uh, Premier Chant uh, La Proie uh, pour l'ombre. Something like that. Premier Jean um, La Proie pour l'ombre. Oh, Premier? Okay. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. Every time I try to pronounce French stuff, I feel like I, I feel like if I try to pronounce the way I'm thinking of it, that would just be like a stereotypical French accent, and then you correct me and it's like, oh, that was the correct way. The you're, yeah, you're, this is what I've heard is it's actually supposed to sound more stereotypical. <laughs> premier Jean, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, premier, la premier Jean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just feel like such a fucking asshole when I do that. So, well, yeah. So, okay. So here's a, here's a good um, kind of typical sample of uh, what this record sounds like, and you're gonna hear both of the main halves of this sound. So you're gonna hear this really kind of rough hewn early Burzum stuff, and then you're gonna hear uh, one of the more like uh, triumphant tremolo riffs. Um, sandwiched between these kind of stompy, like, oi-inspired sections. Uh, so this will give you a good idea of what the majority of this record is going to sound like, and it's, uh, it's killer. So let's, uh, let's try it out. Oh, my God. 
So the thing that's interesting is like talk, going back to that idea of like actually understanding Burzum, which feels like um, something that's really only happened over the past few years of people actually accessing what old Burzum is about. Um, and I was thinking about it before the show, how do I describe it? And for me, it's like using pagan melodic intervals, but with like Celtic Frost guitar technique, you know? And there's some Celtic Frost gnarly dissonance in there, too. Yeah, there is, did, but it's also did, it's also just kind of like the, the gnarliest parts of actual folk music, you know? Yeah, no, I hear that. No, it does sound... The last thing is a good example of how to write something that sounds pagan without making it sound like, uh, you know... Uh, without using these sort of flowing consonant melodies, or without or without using the sort of more fl- without using those chords, and without yeah, using kind of, and without using the sort of various various folk signposts. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing like elven about it. You know, it's it's it no. sounds like oh, you know, it's you know, Iron Age warriors gathered around the fire kind yeah, of shit. S- smash um, with axe. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then when it breaks into the tremolo riff, um, listening again, what's what, what, what's so powerful about this guy's tremolo riffing is, yeah, of course it's going to bear a resemblance to modern, um, kind of flashier French black metal stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying that to pretend that I don't love that, because obviously I, I love all that shit. But what he's doing is he's kind of paring down the number of notes, and he's using that energy to create more interesting harmonic development instead. Like that's a that's a two guitar riff that is uh you know it's it's using that technique where the second guitar is kind of sliding into and out of unison with it and it's mm-hmm. moving it's moving in different uh harmonic directions that are still dramatic but not in the you know, as we like to call it, the traditional budget epic way of something like Seigneur Volant. It's, um, it's, it, it's, keep going. Oh, no, I was just going to say it has a distinct personality, but you're better versed in this stuff, so you probably have a, a, a frame of reference for that specific riff more than I do. Here, let me, um, give me a sec. I, I actually want to check something about it in particular, because I think I, I want to see how many variations there are in it. Yeah. Uh, Keep talking about something. I'm going to listen to it again. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, I think what you're hearing is a, it's a, a four-part riff. It, it's I was a, that's a, what I wanted to check. Yes. Yeah, it's an it's A B A C. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah. So, I mean, like, I mean, I a think... difference a difference with say your Senior Valens or Satanic War Masters would be that those bands usually use the second guitar to well. Eh, some of the biggest moments do come from similar maneuvers of like prizing mm. the prizing the second guitar apart, but it's often more of a discrete rhythm guitar part playing power chords. Um, yeah, I mean more than that though. Like, um, you know, I think the um, the sense of it hits all those really epic intervals, but it hits them without the conventionalized turnarounds and without the really sort of some of the really smooth sounding slides and things that have now become conventional. Um, yeah, well, I, and I think that, I mean, it's it's kind of stupid to say out loud, but I think part of it is just that he's playing a little bit slower than yeah, most of the yeah. nowadays bands. You know, it just, it has that... You know, it has that hammering vibe to it. You know, it's not as uh, it's not as kind of 
airy as a lot of French black metal. If there, if French black metal has an element, it's air. Yeah, you know, this sure. is this is earthy, and that's a cool distinction, I think. I think you know, uh, yeah. A thing I would say about this record is that it's that this is goes with what you were saying. It's pretty deliberate, right? Pacing, mm-hmm. like the pacing is very. Yes, and it's that's something I like about it too. It doesn't have this. Um, yeah, you can play fast in a way that's extremely powerful, like the bands on Antic, right? Um, mm-hmm. But you can, uh, um, or like our lock, right? But but you can also play fast, like so many modern bands, in a way that has absolutely no power. And this is, uh, this feels, this has extreme momentum, but it's anchored in mid tempo, and even the blasting is kind of slow. And it, it has that quality of you can hear every pick stroke that I always really like. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not you know hyper speed tremolo, you know it's a, it's a little more, it's a little more self assured, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's like um, relaxed isn't the right word, but uh, yeah, assured, uh, sort of. Yeah, I think I th- yeah okay, I think I think I think you I think you had all the important things to say about that one. Um, <laughs> all right, it's, um, so, so, uh, speaking of barbarian sounds. Um, and speaking of, you know, that was one of the more up-tempo sections on this record. That's about as fast as it gets, really, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, okay. So where this, where Caverne hangs out, at least at this point, is this more sort of driving mid-tempo stuff. Uh, and, uh, you're gonna get a pretty good look. This, this is sort of the middle song, which is, I think, also the shortest, this is uh, Le Boucher de Vanitou, probably something like The Butcher of the Vanities. I don't know. Um, I, I didn't look up Boucher. Um, but uh, um, it's, what you know, like, it's, it's the fast, it's the shortest track, um, and it's kind of like the punchiest, I think. It's the least, like, you know, the others are more sort of uh, quest-like and uh, wandering in a good way, sort of exploratory. This is... This is more straight ahead, uh, but it's also very grounded in the stompy mid-tempo stuff that this guy had a big hand in influencing. So here we go. just a bit over a minute with uh three really good riffs Mm -hmm. um yeah so in terms of uh 
you know, other core influences, right? What we get there is the Capricornus beat, right? The Greenland beat. Right. And, you know, specifically which Graveland records will probably follow in the voice of blood and almost primarily that, which is just like the most, one of the most sort of glorious sounding and also one of the rawest and with the sort of most clean kind of watery guitar tone, a little like this. But it's um, usually when people, well, A, nobody really directly infl- imitates that band, or almost nobody. And uh, when people do, it's often very much just like, okay, there's that drum beat, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's, like, that's, on, the, that's the like secret handshake for. But you remember, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's true. And fair enough, right? That is the, that is the signature thing. But like, uh, you know, there are blast beats on that record. Yeah, like, yeah. Sorry, really I mean, good is mostly blast beats. <laughs> exactly, really good blast beat riffs. You know, yeah, Turizaz. Exactly, yeah. And so, uh, you know, the trade-off, the pretty rapid trade-off between the uh, galloping sections and the blasting here, which again has that, as you were saying, kind of assured flowing trem, mm-hmm. is uh, really cool. Um, and. Uh, also the way he's playing the doing the Capricornus thing is uh like it's it's with a different inflection than you often get it in uh well in Graveland themselves themselves and in a lot of people who reference it as in it's played here with a kind of skipping lightness to it yeah it's very agile it's i mean not ex- obviously because yeah. this guy is a better guitarist than rob was at the time well he's Um, going for a different sound he's using it to like it sort of floats like the original beat is sort of you know right it has this sort of like heavy hammering sound like very like downbeat emphasizing and very kind of uh yeah this has more of that waltz quality of that doom dunk dunk doom dunk dunk you know yeah it's a slightly different inflections in it and it feels like it's it feels like it's gliding very fast, whereas even when you drive the other beat really fast, it sounds like galloping heavily on a horse, and you're sort of you've got a spear and you're chasing dudes down, or mm. it sounds like you're sort of uh, moving methodically through a medieval battlefield, right? Like one of the most, but like this beat is like very th- that is a part. This this part does sound airy, but not in the typical. Uh, Feather big, light, big flourishes, feather light way. Yeah, there's more like yeah. mountain wind. Right? Well, something I'm something I was noticing, especially on that sample, is you know when we first started talking about, it, I said that you know this this record has a lot of sort of nowadays ideas stripped down to the origin. But mm-hmm. listening to a sample like that, or even mine, I'm starting to realize it's like it's it's not really that stripped down. It's just there's there's less attention deliberately drawn to the flourishes. Like, in that section, uh, in the final riff, there's this wonderful um, octave drop from the bass. Yeah. Um, which is which is great. There's some little guitar flourishes that are, are not repeated across the riffs. And there's also uh, just some interesting drum things, like that jangly little hi-hat fill at the very end of this sample. So there are these little ideas dotted all over the place, but in a lot of like the really intense more technical side of modern french black metal a lot of attention would be drawn to those things 
Like, there would be a big concern about making sure the audience can hear all of them. Here, it feels like this guy is content to just do it for himself, and if you hear it and appreciate it, good for you, but if not, doesn't really bother him. You know, you can listen to it as an album of riff to riff if you want to. Yeah, um, a thing that uh, thing that you wrote in the notes, um, and that will transition to the next one, is, you know, you referred to this guy having an inherent and elemental sense of riff craft that you can't teach, which I thought was very nice. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he knows what and, he's and, doing, man. And, you know, that's something, yeah, exactly, that's something I say some here sometimes, which is just like, does the guitarist have an ear or not? Mm-hmm. And that ear can come from listening to various relevant styles, right? You know, if you're playing a certain kind of straight-ahead grinding second wave, it probably helps to really have an ear for Rain and Blood and Celtic Frost, right? Yeah. Uh, um, if it, like... But, like, in this style, right, it's like, really, do you listen to folk music? Do you listen to classical music? Uh, do you really pay attention to uh, some of the formative records in these genres and, like just do you have an instinctive sense for melody right uh and this guy on those all of the part of part of what why they land so differently from all the things in this either the more sort of florid florid chivalric black metal thing or the more sort of raw tape black senior volant thing is that like it's um well, and the, you know the the florid chivalric black metal people they they also have really good ears, so that's not entirely the right distinction. But um, this guy uses very relatively simple variations on those riffs. It's not really, as you said, like there's there's no real you couldn't pin your put your finger on anything to say this is how it's different from certain kinds of riffs in those styles. But like it's um. He makes very simple phrases, and they're simple in the way that some of the most classic black metal is uh but they have a a truth to them and a clearly defined shape to them that many more flashy melodies lack yeah i mean it's it's harder to make a great riff out of five notes than it is out of ten just inherently yeah and we're in a phase right now where there's a sort of arms race to throw well we've talked about like in some ways it's good right making longer and longer riffs Mm mm-hmm but in terms of, like, the sort of super florid, pseudo-raw stuff that's really big now, right? It's like, how many how many of those satanic warmaster chords can I throw in the riff? <laughs> um, and that is, that's Baroque in a bad sense of the word. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, it's like an exhausted style, so you're trying to squeeze everything you can out of it. Um, mm-hmm. So, let's go to... Uh, not so much to say about this. I basically just said the same thing as you, but longer. Um, uh, <laughs> is, um, let's go to Quarchant, uh, uh, L'Onde et la Nuit. Uh, so, fourth song, I don't know. You know, uh, And I don't know what the first one is. Um, L'Onde. Uh, but, um, death metal guy. We've just talked about the melodies and the song structures and stuff. Now it's time for the same riff over and over again. <laughs> As is tradition, let's yes. enjoy. <laughs>
that. That was basically a solo at the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is a solo. <laughs> Just because it's not, you know, super fast or kind of ripping Carrie King stuff. I mean, it's still a solo. Yeah. Um, yeah, fair. I like, uh, I, I like the kind of inverted technique there. I mean, a, a lot of the time you'd hear kind of the rhythm section stick on something and then you're kind of vamping with the lead guitar. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's reversed. You know, the, the kind of lead guitar is holding everything down and then you're, he's vamping underneath with everything else, which is a really simple technique, but one that I've never really thought about. And it produces a really interesting effect. Um, the leads are also like, uh, well, there's an example of that sort of intuitive sense for what a melody is and how it works, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, do, 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 do. I mean, like, that's the basis for the whole riff, right? Do, do, do. Yeah. And, like, that's the basis for how many riffs, right? Yeah. But it, uh, it's all in the pacing and sequencing of it, all in the shifting of the roots after that. Um, and all in those, you know, he throws in, like, his kinds of embellishments are these things that aren't so much, like, flourishes as, like, little trills. Like, sort of the way that, like, uh, I don't know, like an Irish folk singer will decorate a melody. Turns, I think they're called, or something. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember. But uh, there's, uh, you know, just those, you know, he'll just do those little tripleted, uh, little tripleted parts, right? Yeah, yeah. Um... And, you know, very deliberate pacing, very driving. Uh, that part is cool because, the, you know, the lead is very light, but that is the heaviest part on the record to me. No, I, I get that. You know, it's, yeah. it is, uh, you know, it's, it's everything that this record is about in a, a mm-hmm. concentrated dose. Yeah, it's, ex- you know, extremely driving. Um, and, uh, yeah, the subtle variations are really cool. Um, the solo is, in terms of, like, a written, like, all, so much of that happens there, like the vamping you were talking about, or the little variations in the lead, or the solo, seem to come just from, like, uh, maybe not improvising, imp- either from actually improvising and then just picking, you know, improvising until you find something that works, or just, like, yeah, well, I guess that's what I mean. Really playing it over and over. You know, like what uh, the old one, Gash, uh, what, what Four Line Spirit was talking about with us, where he's like, yeah, you just keep playing the riff till you find the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I think, uh, well, another part of it to me is one of the impressive things about this record is that it, it, it sounds like a full band. Mm-hmm. This doesn't sound like a one-man project, especially with the way that passage develops. That has that jammy quality yes. that we've come to really like in a lot of newer black metal bands. Um, that sounds like the kind of thing that would arise from some guys just kind of playing around with an idea. Mm-hmm. But in this case, he's arriving at it on his own and extremely naturally. Uh, it's like every, every little shift in that passage sounds, you know, necessitated by the one before it, as, as you like to say, you know? Yeah, the idea of yeah, the yeah. necessary follow-up. And the way he's able to transition into that extended passage and then back out of it is organic in a really cool way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Death Metal Guy, uh, take us out. 
<laughs> well, immediately after your sample is what I chose uh, because I like cool riffs. And you know what? I should have never smoked that shit, and now I'm in a Frankish war band. So let's go right where you left off and see what happens. <laughs> I think you're the person who pointed it out first, and ever since you did, I can't unhear it. But it's also frustrating because I can never put my finger on it and specify mm -hmm. what it is. But in all of this stuff that reaches back towards the earlier phases in the 90s of French black metal, I hear Infernus from Gorgoroth in it. There's something about... Yeah the phrasing of these really melodic riffs that takes me right back to like Antichrist era Gorgoroth, you know, the most melodic moments on that record. Um, and, you know, Infernus's guitar style is so hard to pick apart, like what makes it special. Um, but I think this guy has it. It's really that first main blasting riff. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like immediately it's like, I am 17 and I'm listening to Antichrist again, you know? <laughs> yeah, that turnaround at the end is like a Gorgoth thing that then gets very, very French, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. the, the little turnaround at that end of the riff is the only time it sounds like those chords on the whole record. But, uh, dun, 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 dun. but it's totally, I mean, it's a fucking sick riff. Like, I mean, oh, yeah, it's awesome. Not, that, that's a series of like three amazing tremolores. And it's so interesting that it feels like the French are some of the only people in black that really carried Gorgoroth on. 
in a big way. That's a good point, and I think people have forgotten that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you're right that, like, for this, like, yeah, for this one especially, it is those first two. Gorgoroth, I mean, you know, there's the sort of deliberate quality in the picking there as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's nothing really, like, hurried about Katarina's Bortgang or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Or, um, uh, or, you know, and... Yeah, they're much well. Gor, you know, Infernus has one of the best ears in black metal ever, right? Like yeah. he he just hears in spiraling baroque melodies. Like, <laughs> yeah, why he decided <laughs> to stop doing it, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe, maybe Lucifer lost interest. But like, it's <laughs> you know, but it's like the guy has like an organ playing in his head at all times, uh, and the. Uh, but but the riffs themselves are not overly flashy, right? They're very like, very chord driven, very uh, majestic in their pacing. Usually, yeah, it's um, there's like if you're talking about you know riffs that are necessitated by the one before them, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the first three Gorgoroth albums are it, and that's that's this too. You know, the first three Gorgoroth albums are nothing but perfect riffs perhaps not my favorite riffs but always perfect for the situation and i think that kind of applies to this record too yeah i would i would say related to that it's like with this as with the antic stuff the deeper we've dug and some of these other bands it's like the best french black metal bands are not listening to french black metal in the way that other people are like the best French black metal bands are like listening to Norwegian black metal and listening to German black metal and listening to uh, stuff that isn't black metal, like heavy metal and bagpipe music, right? And um, this is uh, this is coming from a much deeper history than people who decide that you know this particular cluster of melodic French bands are like the beginning of music, right? Um, the uh, a smart comment in the YouTube that I really wanted to highlight also, uh, you know, uh, always respect to the comment section. A guy named uh, Bierka with, I think, an American Psycho profile picture says, uh, <laughs> got a lot of first Borknagar album vibes from this, which is a good thing for me. Do you remember the first Borknagar album? Oh, it's been It's been years and years and years, but I know what he's suggesting there. Yeah, I went back and checked it out. I think I've tried, like, Pagan Prosperity or something, and it was a while back, and it was just, like, way too prog for me. But I went back to the first one the other day just to check, and, yeah, I totally hear that. And I, it's a record I'm going to have to listen to more now. But a lot of this kind of um, open, jangly, but forcefully kind of folk stuff is kind of on there. This is a little one gash, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, and we are back with the split when the last forest has died between Mulderion and Robes of Snow, which we uh, rashly assumed was coming out on Old Mill because these bands <laughs> have both been well represented on the label and are part of that scene of uh, eccentric folk black metal. 
But um, we have absolutely no reason to assume that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> we just were, well, I mean, Old Mill is such a, a tight thing. You just assume yeah. that everyone affiliated is doing all their shit through Old Mill. So it, yeah, but it makes often. Often what happens is that these guys put out their own shit digitally, and then Old Mill releases a, a fancy tape run later. So uh, I give 75% odds that happens. Yeah, I, I, I just love how that only occurred to us in the gap between sections. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, so, what, what are these maps? Well, Moldrion, uh, we reviewed last year. Uh, we reviewed, uh, And What Lie Neath Its Shade... Moldryon is very serious ent metal. That is, uh, it's it's really about the forest from the perspective of the forest, uh, and informed by somebody who actually read the parts in the uh, the two towers with the ants instead of just watching the movie, um, <laughs> uh, and identified with the ants, um, and longed to be an ant and communicate with the Huarns. Um, uh, so there's a sort of uh, you know. Uh, dark side eerie forest mushroom energy um and uh robes of snow is like pretty interesting it's this super prolific also a solo guy but super prolific and he he's also a skilled kind of americana and folk musician like in his own right right there's also hmm. like there's like hammer dulcimer and like authentic finger-picked acoustic playing on his stuff and the folk elements on it don't sound so much like, uh, you know, actual European folk or, like, neo-folk type stuff as, like, often kind of um, vaguely bluegrassy uh, American stuff or even more modern kind of Americana music. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's an interesting... But the, and the, the black metal sensibility is generally just sort of, I don't know foresty black metal where you can tell that stuff like druid can horn and whatever are reference points right yes so so um split between these two is a pretty natural idea um and fitting for the turn of the year towards the fall uh and both of these i think there's been a little development in Moldryon sound for sure oh yeah this is this is very very different from what we heard last year yeah, so last year, I think you made some, um, uh, uh, you made some, I think, fairly, a you know, accurate constructive criticisms about that one. Could you remind our listeners? So, um, well, my biggest criticism of Moldrion last year was the, the production style, um, which was, you know, not bad. Everything was audible, but it was very digital. Uh, you had this, um, as uh, the Black Metal guy described it, this very bit-crushed kind of line-in guitar tone. Um, it, it just uh, it, it didn't have quite as much breathing room as the music deserved. Um, and that's one of the biggest changes now. Uh, now it sounds like, uh, you know, the production style is much more traditionally Black Metal. The guitar tone is much nicer. Uh, the drums, uh, actually, interesting thing here, apparently the session drums were provided by the same guy on both sides of the split, actually. Yeah. Uh, two bands, he, uh... one drummer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and uh, this is a guy uh, named, let me check it out on the band camp, uh, CJ Yakub. Uh 
And uh, yeah, he's the uh, he's the drummer on both sides of the split. So I assume he's probably just tied in with a lot of the kind of old mill affiliated guys. I um, feel like his role was explained to me in one of these bands at some point, but I cannot remember. Um, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like I, I looked him up on Metal Archives. It looks like he's uh, seems like he's just doing drums for a lot of otherwise solo projects, you know, just mm-hmm. trying to kind of help out where he can, make him sound a little more organic. And I think that that is really to the advantage of both of these bands. Um, you know, I you know both of these bands are going for this, you know, nature kind of atmospheric black metal sound, and obviously, you know, just natural to that style, a drum machine is always going to be a little bit of a limitation. So I think his contribution really helps out both bands on the split. And, you know, um, I think on the last, I think, I think almost like from whence the woods, the first Mulderion was like, uh, I think what happened was that record was aggressively bit crushed in a stylized dungeon synth way. Mm-hmm. And it actually kind of made sense for that particular record. Like, obviously, that's never my favorite tone, but on that one, it kind of made sense. And there's this kind of like dr- over the top driving DSBM thing in the guitars. It was just sort of a different vibe. But the last one, you carried over aspects of that tone while making a more straight ahead record, right? Yeah. Um, and a more straight ahead black metal record. The other thing you pointed out about the last one that I think was accurate, right? Um, Especially on reflection, right? And and at, at that time, I was just uh, you know, um, you were devil's advocating. I I was sort of uh, advocating, and I'm just so so stoked about the ends, right? I just you know, <laughs> you know, this is a this is a project that can do no wrong for me. But something you said that was also perceptive was right, like it it alternated between the black metal parts and the more extremely accomplished dungeon synth parts, mm-hmm. and the, cons- the the wonder was like, well. Uh, in some ways, this this is done way better than most bands who do this, but in some ways it's kind of two bands at once. Where do you want to take it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, he seems to have answered that question here, where, like, the Dungeons and Sensibility is never going to go away, because it's got this kind of, you know, uh, whimsical fantasy vibe, right? Yeah. But um, it, this is really, these songs are really black metal songs. I feel like I feel like the material from Moldyon on this split is the completion of a transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think that he was moving more towards this uh, more straightforward black metal direction, but still with his own eccentricities. Yeah. And I, I think this is this is a new foundation that he's going to build off of. And I, I think that, for the most part, the changes that he's made were positive ones. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, there's certainly a lot to build on here. So, let's go to a uh, sample um, from The Bluebells Now and Where Flowers Would Waltz.
pretty intense. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of that owes to the improved production quality. You know, it just, it lands a lot harder now. Yeah, I think there was, um, I think on the last one, there was a surprising physicality. I think that mm-hmm. we could hear in the plane, like there was a pretty aggressive driving riffing there. But yes, the guitar tone was not uh, not doing it. And here, interplay with the live drum. Was there the live drummer on the last one? I don't... I don't believe so. I think it was still a drum machine for that one. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, I'm looking at the credits. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, it says drums, but yeah. Um, it says there are drums. It says it, cred- it credits just all their side with vocals, guitar, keys, drums, bass. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but here definitely the the drumming. There is guitar drum interplay that allows that physical side of his playing, which is unusual in music that gets put under this heading, uh, allows the physical side of the playing to come out. So, like, a big thing there is, um, you know, just that, like, driving beat. You know, so what that is drawing from is, like, uh, Droog, when they really dig in. Some of the yeah. mid tempo stuff, um, even like later Drug, um, also probably Catatonia. Um, like Catatonia, brief... I, I think there's a DSBM streak. That, that's what I was. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, because well, I, I wasn't. Gonna... <laughs> go, <laughs> go ahead. Go, go, go. Oh no, I was just gonna say because I, I think that in particular I heard a, a specific like thy light quote, off mm. of. Uh, one of the earlier Thy Light records, um, somewhere on that first track, I think it's before your sample, like a little arpeggiated piece that I think is a little tribute to Oh, them. you know, it sounds a little like Cold World, too, right? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I can definitely feel the Cold you World. You know, uh, tortured by solitude. Um, <laughs> uh, what a sad song. Oh, my gosh. The, 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 the DSBM band that everyone picked up on that actually deserved it, you know? Yeah, man. That yeah, I, I think I really only know them for one song, but that song is like, oh man, that's that's a sad one. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. So this has yeah, it has that sort of driving, aggressive, depressive feel, uh, and this format really allows him to. Well, I mean, this is a common thread with the uh, the cavern, right? There's something jammy here. Yeah. Also yeah. in a context where you wouldn't expect it. Like that last build, he just starts wailing on lead and not in the sort of carefully sculpted, elegantly sculpted and melodic solo way that you got on the cavern. But like he just starts wailing. It's it's kind of almost a screamo thing. Like like a Yeah, he's just, just going for it. Just well, yeah, think, like and what Well, I, I was gonna say I, I think that <clears throat> I think that some of the idiosyncrasies we're hearing compared to Moldyron's other stuff is I think on this split, and this is the way that it should be on splits, both bands are leaning into each other a little bit. Oh, yes. This is a thing that I was... um, Yeah, although normally I think Moldergon is more intense than Rubs of Snow. Rubs of Snow has some fast blasting, but, uh, like, um, they are certainly leaning into each other here. Um, They... It's a highly collaborative split, and we'll talk about more about that when we do the interview. But yeah, these guys are buds. Um, and uh, but yeah, you, you know. Okay, so I think I think that, you know I think basically the new format is bringing out things in his guitar playing. Basically, this sort of just his willingness to dig into these driving parts and the sort of uh, 
ex, you know, I, oh, this is this is a thing I had in the notes. It's like this really isn't particularly riff oriented, right? But what it is is this. Yeah. But the riffs are good. Like I mean, I love driving Catatonia riffs like that, right? Just hell mm-hmm. yeah. Um. And uh, but what it is is this sort of like things just sort of swirl together uh and you get the sense of like moving forest canopy and like you know blowing leaves and stuff like that uh and this kind of uh cumulative wildness as the song builds and a thing that i don't know if he did particularly in the last one was that was also basically a crescendo effect like yeah, or like a, I, I, a proper I think he... build in a way that's different from normal black metal. In that we got the the wailing solo and then just like big dungeon synth keyboard release. Yeah, I think I think there was stuff that gestured towards that on the previous record, mm-hmm. but I I think that again, like the the production didn't owe itself to a a, a mm-hmm. full realization of the idea. Now we get to hear it in full form. Yes, the last one felt more like lines of riffs. Like, it felt more Burzumic, right? Yeah, This is yeah. a droning Burzumic, like, long riff sequence, riff sequence, riff sequence. There's some hate foresty kind of stuff there, like these long rolling riffs. Here it is very, like, swell, ebb, sway, flow, in a way that I find very, very cool and uh, very um, fitting for the subject matter. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, so, like you were saying, this is not um, not necessarily, like, riff-oriented music, but I think there's a big step up on the general riffing on this mm-hmm. record uh, compared to uh, In What Lie Neath It Shade. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with just embracing... Uh, it, it felt like earlier Mulder Yawn stuff was sort of keyboard-based in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like everything kind of... There was a gravity well around these big kind of dungeon synthy keyboard lines. And now um, now things are a little bit evened out. The keyboards chime in. They slip away periodically. But now I think uh, the, the general riffing quality is a lot higher. And I think that has to do with just embracing some more traditional black metal ideas. So I took a section off of Green Magic Fading. And you're going to hear... Just a lot more movement in the riffs than you did here on And What Lie Neath It Shade. Uh, so you're going to have some kind of folky stuff like Vindir. Uh, you're going to hear more of what I think of as Moldyon's kind of guitar foundation, which is something kind of like Marble Bog that we talked about last time. Oh, yeah. And then you're also going to hear some, some kind of gnarlier second wave stuff. So, uh, yeah, we'll check this one out, and you'll hear you'll just hear a lot of activity. Um just a lot of things happening much faster than they used to.
yeah, that's like a solid four riffs in like under two minutes, or uh, uh, which is just a much faster rate of activity than you typically heard from this band. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, like you were saying, this is not necessarily riff-focused music. It, it, it's more of an ensemble cast. But I think the increased emphasis on the guitar, you know, everything not quite getting in, into that gravity mm -hmm. well around the keyboards, yeah. makes for something that's a lot more well-rounded. And I think maybe with, maybe with a wider appeal, in a way. I, I think this can reach more people than previous Mulder Yawn stuff did, just because there's a bit more traditional kind of heavy metal kicks to it. It's still very distinct. It's still stylistically unique, but it's it's broadening its horizons a little bit. And I, th I think that's to the benefit of the project as a whole. Yeah, I mean, and this is another place where... I, yeah, I guess this is... Um... The riffs have the simplicity of early Scandinavian stuff. Really, by not riff-driven, you could just say it's not flashy in the way stuff from the last five to ten years is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, those are all pretty just solid, cool, driving riffs. And what they are is templates, again, for his kind of... his way of digging in on the, on the guitar, which is not a thing that is done enough in black metal right yeah uh, um you know some of those the, some of those lines there was a pretty sinister kind of emperor lead part there and what yeah, i was thinking yeah. what he's done with the keyboards to some degree is he's using them more like emperor obviously we mean i can see that pre you know pre-anthems maybe pre-nightside emperor right but um but like that i was thinking that that big climax on uh, you know the bluebells now right on the last one i sampled that Using the keys as a climax in that way, rather than an ambient interlude or this little hook thing coming in over a repeating riff, mm -hmm. you know that that's like the "I Am the Black Wizards" thing. Um, like, yeah, there's like, a, there's a, a much more defined, you know, wax and wane to these songs. Yeah, and the keys, yeah, they're not stop start; they're wax and wane, and the keys are used. And even though he's keeping the the sort of chiming fairy tones, the keys, I guess, are. In the parts where they're out front, they're out front in a more black metal way, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, um, all right, so you got the Onto Robes of Snow, the Terminus debut review. Yeah, so I had not really heard previous Robes of Snow stuff, um, apart from, you know, little bits that you sampled in uh, in the interview with Reese last year. Mm -hmm. Um so it's it's interesting because this is operating off a core of kind of post black metal, but executed in a very different way. Because um, I I think that what this project is really infatuated with, uh, apart from this kind of post black style of execution, is a lot of late '90s and early 2000s kind of folk black metal. Um, because I'm, I'm hearing personally on this side uh, a lot of Vendir and uh, maybe some Ulver in its more polished moments on those first few records, um, as well as, you know, a streak of fairly well-defined kind of emo stuff. But I think it's, it's woven into the black metal texture really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so... Um... 
you know, what, what else would set this apart? I think there's a good... Uh, this, this seems more emphatically black metal than some of the Robes of Snow stuff I th I've, I've heard before. Um, he did this cycle of seasonally associated records uh, that were like when he just do, he does this really prolific output. But he did he, he did one for one short full length for each season basically, uh, and a lot of those were more like what was really striking about them was that they were. I guess a classic example of a certain kind of old mill total folk black fusion where it was like they worked more like neo-folk songs that just had convincing driving black metal parts in them. Mm -hmm. uh, this is more, maybe in the same way that the Mulderion is a little more metal, this seems a little more metal to me. And yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe it's just the effect of the two working together and kind of pushing each other more in that direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you want to, you want to head to the sample? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I, uh, I got a section off, uh, winter knelt before the doomed tree. And it's one of those things where at first blush, it seems very within the traditional post black wheelhouse. Um, I think a lot of that comes down to kind of certain elements of the arrangement and the sound quality. Um, cause you've got those kind of keening, uh, you know, glistening leads as you like to say uh-oh <laughs> uh-oh you know you've got these these drawn out kind of developmental sections etc mm -hmm. etc but then if you if you take a step back and you just listen to it purely from a melodic standpoint what you're hearing is a lot closer to like i mentioned before kind of late 90s early 2000s folk black in in the actual interval choices but is this sample you're going to hear a couple of those passages sandwiching a really cool um black metal by way of afi part uh, well, you got uh, my attention <laughs> i got your attention well i'm curious you're you're the the master of afi so i want to see if i actually <laughs> landed on it you know this is me taking yeah. a shot in the dark but let's uh let's try this part out and we'll see if i got the comparison right all right
black black metal guy slash emo dad. Did I get it right? <laughs> AFI is not an emo band. AFI was a gothic hardcore band before they sold out. Um, uh, Jesus, um, I should have said it. <laughs> um, all the, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, like, yeah, kind of does. I mean, it sounds like AFI, insofar as they were like into the Cure and the Smiths, like the last. One diff- doctrinal difference I have with um, some AFI purists is that I think Sing the Sorrow is a great album. Uh, it's probably some stuff that was right after they signed to a major label. Uh, I think there's mm-hmm. some stuff on there that, some stuff on there that if I listened now probably wouldn't age so well. But hey, it was my first one, um, and uh, it's got this, some really unique songs. I mean, like the li- hit single "Girls Not Gray" just sounds like a Smith song with with like D beats. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, it got this kind of like, uh, uh, you know, dancing kind of light guitar. And so with, with that, that little cascading sort of, yeah, I kind of hear it for sure. Um, uh, it really, that really reminds me, the melodic phrase reminds me more of the cure, which reminds me more of, uh, catatonia or life lover. I was about to say it could also. I mean, AFI. It could also just be a life lover. It's well, probably one that's actually and closer. And AFI to. would have been listening to Catatonia, like almost yeah. certainly. Like that. That's like they had. Um, like a lot of those bigger bands, they listened much more widely than I think um, a lot of their fans realized. I got gotcha. you. Um, um, but what I really like is so I I, I love that kind of life lover post punk part. Um, I think that's really cool. And I think he just, he fucking pulls it off way oh, better than he, most people do. He nailed it. I mean, that was the best part. Like, I mean, yeah, but that, the, that kills. But the build was good too. So yeah, what were you going to say about that? Well, the build is, like I said, so it's like, you get this obvious kind of like reaction. It's like, oh, okay. So we're doing this. We're doing the big arcing post-black mm-hmm. lead riff thing. But then it's like, well, the relationship between the intervals on the lead guitar and the, the supporting backing chords is... I mean, that has a lot more to do with, a, you know, a band I keep going back to. This is like you going to Graveland, me going mm-hmm. to Vindir. You know, yeah, yeah. Vindir is like, which I insist is like this very underappreciated band in terms of how influential it actually was. And I think that that sort of thing is dotted all across uh, Robes of Snow's side. Is this kind of deep cut appreciation of stuff that, I, I'm guessing this is a guy around our age. So I'm guessing that a lot of the stuff that he's influenced by is stuff that was very popular when we were coming up, but has been kind of been forgotten in the intervening years. You know, you, you don't hear people really talk about Vindir Ulver anymore, which is funny because they were such a huge part I, of what everyone was talking about back in the day. I think Ulver is still big, but just for people who aren't actually like, don't actually like black metal, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think this guy appreciates mm-hmm. the actual black metal parts of all. Yeah, no, I, I get that for sure. And I like what you were saying about the chords under, you know, yeah, the... the um, Because that's actually kind of a, it's kind of a gnarly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, chord progression <laughs> underneath. <laughs> it, there's some kind of dark textured uh, chords mm-hmm. supporting it. It's, it's not just like a, a straight echo, you know, there's a real dynamic there. Um I think and, a and lot the drums, of the drummer is unloading. I mean, the drums on this yeah, record yeah. are really, really good. Uh, yeah, they're awesome. And 
one reason those post-black glistening leads are usually so groan-inducing for us is, like, I mean, yeah, it's not my favorite guitar tone, and it's probably not my favorite way of writing a riff. However, mostly the problem is that people use the guitar tone as a crutch and that the people with these projects have no ear for music, right? <laughs> yeah. this, this guy has an ear for music, and, you know, the melody makes sense, and it interacts in a cool way with the... Yeah, with that kind of grinding, uh, yeah, grinding r- rhythm part, right? So yeah. I, I've got no, I've got no problem with that. I, that, that. That gets my post-black pass. And also, uh, you know, the uh, the life lover part is well. How do you make that a little more powerful, a little more metal? Uh, just hit the drums really fucking hard when you do it. <laughs> you know, it it's pretty cool. It's like, you know, suddenly it slips from uh, the Cure into something distinct. It's like, yeah, just hit the snare really, really hard on your little dance beat, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it, it totally changes the the color of the whole passage. For sure. Yeah. So that's cool. Um. I would say, if I had to say any word of criticism about the Robes of Snow side, I'd say this track is maybe a little too long. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a, uh, ooh, Jesus, what is this it? This is it's 18 like a, fucking minutes. Um, nine. It's almost 19, 19 minutes. Yeah. It's not necessarily a problem. Into Oblivion has pulled it off, right? Um, but, like, it... Um, on the one hand, it moves towards this really massive scale where you constantly get the risk that, like, it's just going to be too big to have a shape, right? On, yeah. On the other hand, like, someone may be able to pull it off. Very difficult. On At the same time, I would feel like a lot of the melodies on this one are more distant from the sort of, you know, like, folk stuff that is kind of core to this project or the sort of, mm-hmm. like, bluegrassy stuff that's core to it. And so, like... At times, the melodies can sound lack a little bit of the uh, definition and rootedness that they often have, right? They can sound a little more like that was good. Those passages were good, right? But I say, on average, this song hues closer to the post black thing in a way that can make mm-hmm. it a little more, you know, I would say this song shifts between nebular and the sort of swirling energy thing like Mulderion has, and maybe we've got some of that in this passage, and maybe a little more nebulous, right? So I feel well, like I think it's um, yeah. No, I, I basically agree with you. I think that every every minute past nine minutes in a metal song requires another two years of songwriting to pull off you know what i mean um but what what was interesting to me is like okay it's like a it's like a 19 minute song but it's like there's a lot of defined breaks in it where it would be very Mm -hmm. easy to split into like two or three songs and i think you know it's it's a little tertiary in a sense to talk about this but you gotta think about the way people listen to music it's like Yeah, yeah 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 you know the the centering idea of a song and even if you just kind of arbitrarily split this up into three, it's like, it's easier for people to grasp, this is the song that I really love because it has this passage. It might be, you know, an entire complete movement to you, but I think these are the small adjustments that can be made to make it stick with listeners a lot harder. I think that's well said. I think that's right. It's like, then you know, yeah, there is something where those sorts of changes are you're thinking more for the listener, but it is also like, it's a break in the form, right? It's a small, as you say, it's a outsized significant thing that you can do. And it's like putting a stanza break in a poem or something, 
like yeah you know, yeah that's a good way to think or of it. just that's, different sections or different sections right like mm-hmm. it's and there's nothing that prevents the listener if the tracks flow into each other there's nothing that prevents the listener from just listening straight through it right yeah um yeah so um yeah so okay so that's that's our little quibble now let's go to uh the woodsman's and also you know a, a point is that splits are for trying things right yeah they're experimental territory yeah so there's like you get to you learn know. from each other you know yeah so like why not put your 19 minute you know your ambitious 19 minute epic on the split right that's like yeah go for it um uh next one the woodsman's walk uh so I think here you get a bit more of the uh well as as you were saying about about robes and as I was saying about Moldrion a little more sort of of the authentic Scandinavian influence and also uh much more of the modern Americana stuff. Basically the format for this song is basically a couple variations on this rather storming black metal theme that's voiced in a very unusual way trading off against these different sections of modern Americana kind of stuff that like change each time. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's like version one of theme, big opening up version two of black metal theme, big opening up. And it's got some traces of the theme in it. Cool structure. um, And uh, I think captures a lot of the specific things this band has to offer in a more maybe punchy black metal ish form.
so wasn't it weird how he was doing that sort of darker melody? The dom 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 dom. I can't even quite hum it. It was a very long melody. That kind of uh, you know, going into the Minds of Moria thing. Very Minds of Moria, yeah. Because like, so the interesting thing is like those intervals are pretty like you know you could blast those out. You could make them sound like a number of Norwegian bands. Instead, he does them with this kind of, like, stompy beat, and he's playing... I think he's doing finger-picked bass. Is that right? Possibly. You know, you know what that actually reminds me of? It's, it's almost like a Verdunkeln kind of thing. It is. I mean, it could also be Windier. Yeah, oh yeah, I was definitely thinking of... Uh, like, right tonally, after the first... it tonally right that bass is like a Verdunkeln thing, kind of, for sure. Yeah, but that, that riff after the initial violin line, the, mm-hmm. that kind of Minds of Moria thing, that is like, that's early Vindir, you know, mm-hmm. just that like, you can hear the Norse folk, but very kind of flattened out and metalized with, you know, just straight power chords, you know, it's, and, it's very fantasied. Yeah, fantasy. You know, um, like... Yeah, I, I hear that. Um, and both of those, you know, there's a variation on that at the beginning of the sample, too. Uh, similar stems for that melody. Uh, and it sort of, like, plunks along in a very folky way that I think makes you think Minds of Moria. It's like, you know, you, you've got to try to get the pony in there, right? Um, and, uh, <laughs> and the pony can't fit, sadly. Um, but, but, you know, like, it's... It's, um... Yeah, it definitely has this dwarves tromping through the woods vibe. Uh, and it sounds... I No, I'm pretty sure the bass is plucked. Like, Verdunkeln bass, I'm pretty sure, is picked. Goth bass is usually picked. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the resonant thunking of the bass surely has something in common with that. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's an interesting way of doing it. Like, melodies that other bands would do with blast beats or maybe a more conventional stomping beat, right? This is... It's different. Um... And then those those sort of like sore. I, I really like the violin there, right? Oh yeah, the violin's and wonderful. It's just wailing, and it doesn't really sound like traditional European folk. It doesn't really sound like neo folk. It sounds like a big folky moment in a film soundtrack or in like good modern country. Yeah, I can see that. It's a, it's played like a fiddle in a way. You know, it's, it's just played like a fiddle, but kind of with a big Enya moment vibe. Yeah, yeah, it's a it, well, it's just a looping phrase that mm. periodically dissolves into a sort of fill pattern. You know, it's a it's almost like a very Mulder Yawn kind of technique. You know, this this central. I mean, he would use a synth, but mm-hmm. you know, this this central oh. other voice. Yeah, it's working a lot like that keyboard climax I liked on that Mulder Yawn track. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think that's. I mean, that's the thing. It's these two guys really working together and learning from each other and trying to expand their musical palettes from that collaboration. Yeah, they've definitely... And it seems like on this record in particular, they've both moved towards versions of this uh, kind of... Uh, um, this swirling forest energy sound.
All right, we're back. Gautama Buddha Rebirth Part 1. You know, like around this time last year we made we made a conscious choice to just not not bring on records that we were just going to, you know, hate and burn to the ground. Uh, but this, you know, this week was a dry week for me. So I saw this, I listened to like 20 seconds of a track. It seemed fine, so I brought it on. There's a bunch of people talking about it on Bandcamp, which, you know, should have been one of my first flag. indications. Yeah, exactly. That should have been one of my first indications. Um, this, uh, this sucks. Um, I'm not gonna, not gonna make any, uh, not gonna make any bones about it. This is miserable. Um, Gautama Buddha is supposedly from India. I am 99.9% .9 sure that it is not from India for multiple reasons. Um, all of the titles of the songs, as well as all the writing about them on the Bandcamp, is pulled directly from an Indian newspaper that is talking about different reasons for reincarnation. I've attached the link below in the description of this podcast to show you that it is directly copy and pasted from this site. Um, the uh, denomination uh, for uh, purchasing the record is in euros, which uh, is not a thing in India. <laughs> Um, so yes, I think this is yet another project, uh, by someone who feels that if they attach the aesthetics of this to a quote unquote exotic location, it will suddenly become more exciting, um, which is, uh, extremely idiotic for several reasons. One, because that kind of shit doesn't matter. And two, uh, because India has an incredibly fertile metal scene that doesn't feel the need to indulge itself in the way that this does. Um, so I guess there is a slim possibility that this is a, uh, a an in incredibly boring and lazy person from India who just copies things off websites for descriptions for their album. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this isn't from India. Uh, this is woefully inauthentic. Uh, you also had a good point about the location. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention, uh, so supposedly on Metal Archives and probably on the Bandcamp, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to pull it up to research it. Uh, so supposedly the uh, town of origin in India is uh, Kushinagar. Uh, and Kushinagar is a town in northeast India with a population of about 20,000, which is pretty fucking remarkable for India, of all places, that anything can be that small. And it's primarily a uh, Buddhist pilgrimage site because it's supposedly where Gautama Buddha, who this project is named after, uh, attained nirvana after his death. Um, you know, consider it like one of the meccas of Buddhism. So that's bullshit. Uh, the band is bullshit. It is boring post-black metal with a novelty Buddhist aesthetic. And this is everything that I despise about the nowadays black metal scene. And I have no doubt it will be wildly successful amongst idiots. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's there more to say? I <laughs> Am mean, I being excessive? I don't think I'm being excessive here. No, we haven't done this in a while. We, we've know, never is... done this. We've never gone in on something like like this. I mean, you really like, no, we've, 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 uh, we've, We've said some seriously critical things, but often with um, a little bit of regret. Um, yeah, no, no regrets on this one. Yeah, um, so 
This is, uh, yeah, the problem is, you know, the funny thing is, as you say, this does kind of come off like a post-black record, but I don't think it thinks that's what it is. Oh, it, like, no, it thinks it's serious raw black metal. Yeah, this is this is the logical conclusion of, this is the thing that I've been warning about, which is sort of uh, fruity Vothanacore worship uh, sort of spiraling off into its own realm of, you know, like, uh, sort of hyper... I mean, well, the weird thing is I would say hyper-melodic, except this actually it's not even <laughs> well the, the strange thing it's those really long it's ornate right it's these really long melodies uh it's like if we put more notes in it it will it will be better it's um abuse of reverb and fuzz that comes from uh abuse of reverb fuzz and long wandering melodies that loosely comes from blaze birth hall stuff um that's God. probably the that, that makes the me nauseous just just saying it in the same review. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, so ugh. it's it's like third hand Vothana, fourth hand Blaze Birth Hall, uh, everything that has knocked around the internet raw black circle for a long time uh, to you know uh, various consequences. Um, this, reads, this is the it reads like the it is specifically of raw tape black. It reads like it is specifically targeted at getting on a certain currently very popular label, right? That is, yeah. um, that's not the label's fault. However, this is, um, very much geared towards that. Um, it's possible this is made by someone very young, but the level of cynicism and faking the location suggests otherwise. Um, yeah. If it's made by someone very young, it's just like, okay, well, you know, hey. We, we all have to do a, a shitty record when we're a kid, you know? Yeah, it's like, you know, hey, he completed a whole record by himself. Uh, he has some talent on guitar, and he has some sense of what bands he likes, right? Okay, like, you can work from there, right? But I sus given everything you say about the location and the general sort of, whether this is or isn't an Indian person, the transparent novelty, uh novelty milking of this uh it's um it seems like it's uh more more cynical than naive um oh yeah no this, or just this or just pretend it's either cynical or pretentious right or as often both um it's um <laughs> so you know uh what's remarkable about this is like how You know, this is just uh, like so. We're we're gonna we're just gonna sample from the first track. Um, what's remarkable about this record is that uh, unlike many things in this sort of uh, highly flowing pop black school that's big now, both in post black and in its supposed underground antithesis, right? Uh, unlike many things like that, he's not just playing all the pretty intervals, right? This isn't yeah. just like consonant, pure consonant, uh, um, sort of pop, sugary pop melodies. Uh, it's not just tinkly and pretty. Uh, but the problem is that uh, it sounds like he's never heard music, right? Like <laughs> the sort of um, like listen to the way that every riff dissipates the riff that came before and then undoes itself. Yeah. 
God, this shit is just so fucking labored. It's... Ugh. I like it when the clean guitar does, like, the chiming notes. I like that, because it's like, it's, it's like, it's sensitive, but, like, everything under is, like, really heavy, and it's, like, really harsh. And it's kind of like, it's kind of about the duality of man, you know? Black metal guy, that's what it's about, you know? It's like there's it's about this the... world of, it's like there's this world of suffering and misery, but then, like, if we could just sort of suspend our desires and tap into a universal consciousness, we could become one with the world. Yeah, it's like even amidst all the sorry, like, one su- with sorry, one with not the world. And and if like it's like there's so much suffering and the world's so hard, but it's like it's also kind of beautiful at the same time. And that's what like the clean guitar is expressing here. And the vocals convey an atmosphere an of anguish. anguish. <laughs> Fuck that. God damn uh, it. So it's like, like it, it's so out of the playbook, dude. So with these riffs, man, like uh there you know, there are these, it's like each riff sort of starts with something like an idea and then gradually mumbles itself into oblivion as it goes. And I tried to figure <laughs> out why. Um, I think it has something to do, he's doing this two-channel thing. And again, yes, Labored is right. Like, work went into this is the strange thing, right? There's, he's doing this two-channel thing where one lead is kind of chasing the other, but it's not like a round, they're not playing the same patterns, and they sort of actively interfere with each other. Um, it's, uh, and you kind of get the sense in that. There are also sort of like key changes there, or at least like root chord changes. They all kind of happen at random between yeah. riffs. Um, each of those, those are all fairly on the consonant, uh, pretty sounding side but they're kind of these abrupt nonsense changes between each riff and uh the 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 just they don't the i the the notes don't cohere as as melodies or sets of motifs or patterns and they don't sound like random and dis they don't sound like random in a dissonant way they just sound unmusical no, it's like, because we were talking while I was going, you know what it is? And here's where the cynicism comes in. It is mm-hmm. imitating the kind of, like, fumbling, inexperienced quality mm-hmm. of, like, people who are doing raw tape black but are actually legitimate. Like, a guy who's just been playing guitar for a year and is trying mm-hmm. shit outside his wheelhouse. But in this case, it's 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 not a guy who can't play guitar because there's some surprisingly complex riffs on this. They still suck, but they're complex. Um, but he just like this was. Here's I, here's a place where where we'll defer. You say that effort's been put into this. I don't think so. I think this was cranked out in like two days. You know because like. I guess by so, effort, I look, look, death metal guy. I listen to a lot of hardcore. Okay, <laughs> okay. There are a lot of notes on this. Yeah, there's a lot of notes, but they're all out of the post-black playbook. There's not a there. There's really no fucking original ideas on this. It's the same shit I've been hearing forever. You know, not forever since since this fucking scourge has been upon us for like the past ten years. And, you know, it's just, and he's trying. He's also, you know, he's also trying to create that 
swirling vagueness that emerges from the Blazebirth stuff, right? But he's not directly imitating Blazebirth. This is like a game of telephone. No, and um, but the thing is, like, the issue is, like, the swirling vagueness is probably a patch you can put on in Cubase now. Yeah. Like, there's way too many people doing shit that sounds like this for it to be difficult to achieve. Jesus Christ, I can go on Bandcamp and I can find five tapes released this week with a black and white album cover that have that same... Oh man, it's like kind of fuzzy. But well, actually, these days it would be a colored album, color and black album cover with um, like this one, yeah. A sort of yeah, like um, something yeah, from and... a non-Western culture, and uh, like and riffs that are heavily influenced by like something from a non-Western culture and riffs that are heavily influenced by Russian black metal bands. <laughs> Like Russian and you know, uh, yeah, it's we've we've come full fucking circle back to weakling, man. But that's mean to weakling. Oh, this is like weakling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weakling. Everyone's. <laughs> oh yeah, have we ever said that on the show? Weakling yeah, is weakling just sucks. F- forest for people from San Francisco. Yeah, it's um uh. You know, I do like some of Gossard's other projects. I think Asunder is a fantastic band, but Weakling... What Weakling has is also a similar kind of self-undermining quality. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's I it's way better than... It's way better than this. Oh, yeah, but it's, even, it's leagues but, <laughs> but But even the idea of, like, creating a black metal band that's, like... Just the idea of, like, hey, what if we had a black metal band, but it was called, like, Weakling? Wow, that's cool, man. That's like because really... I come from the punk scene, and what I'm into is the opposite of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, yeah. it's a, it's 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 so you know it, it, yeah. it, it's this kind of shit that reveals the fucking artifice of like consciously arty dudes. You know, it, it's like it's just uh, take whatever, do the opposite of parts of it, and put it out. You know, it's yeah. like, and like, and that applies Weakling to this record also too. had that quality when the guitar solos and shit came in. It was just like, oh god, it's sort of yeah. like undoing itself as it goes. I mean, it's it's the same thing here. It's like, oh man, what if I had these really pretty melodies, but I did these like fumbling fills in between riffs, like I don't know what I'm doing. And oh shit. well, you we we both caught this. He um he in that passage he throws in the punk beat uh a core uh, like a halfway through a measure. He, yeah, he does the transition yeah. halfway. He does the transition deliberately late, but it's right on time. Oh yeah, it's it's totally fake. It's totally yeah. fucking fake. You know, it, it, it's imitative of actual raw black metal, where just, literally this is what they can do. You know, you know, which this makes is like it a, like the opposite of raw. It makes it extremely mannered and artificial. Exactly it's because a, you can hear when the affect. riffs are actually when the when the riffs are looping on themselves they're perfectly on time this is all done to a fucking click track you know, the, the best like... the best the, the whole thing is that like the foundational bands for the raw black metal style were trying to be good yes and like, that there doesn't yeah. mean none of them none of them thought they were trying to be good like thy primordial was good or like like sacramentum was good but they thought they were trying to be good. They wanted their music to sound cool and powerful, right? Yeah. They were not. They were not trying to actively choke their own music. Yeah, which is which is why 
modern raw tape black guys can't imitate mutilation properly because they don't understand that Willie gave a shit and he was doing the best with what he had. Willie gave a shit. He did. It's true. Yeah, no, yeah, it's true. I mean, it's true. That's the whole feeling of Vampires of Black Imperial Blood. It's like, yeah, it's uh He's um, he's doing literally he's going because he's going so hard. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like you can hear you listen to Vampires of Black Imperial Blood. Yeah, it's sloppy. Yeah, he's off time, but he's playing as hard as he can. He's trying to make it happen. This is a guy playing very smoothly and just like deliberately fucking up yes. in transitions. <laughs> Tightly controlled badness. Um, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's it's the difference between Birdemic and Birdemic Two. Birdemic 1 is a charming bad movie because the guy had no idea what the fuck he was doing. But then that got very popular. You know, it became a cult classic among B-movie people. And then he made Birdemic 2, which is self-conscious and trying to imitate the badness of the first. And that's why I turned it off 10 minutes in when I saw it. What's Birdemic? Oh, it's a, a very bad attempt at a horror movie where birds attack people. Ah. Oh, I wasn't that by... Uh fucking hitchcock yeah it was <laughs> didn't didn't I, stop this dude though yeah so um <laughs> why don't we uh why don't we listen to your cool sample yeah fuck it i mean there's like we, we talked before we got on the show it's like we had four samples like we usually do and then it was like there's no fucking point because there's like there's a couple moments later on in the record that gesture towards actual ideas that mean something and might lead in a direction but it doesn't fucking matter this is completely and, cynical you well know. and also the way those are constructed is very much in the model of like big riff confectionary black metal it's just like put a lot of notes in it well can you put a lot of notes in it yes you can <laughs> and in some places the notes sound more there's some more musicality to them but like it's not if if this succeeded, it would sound like a lot of things that I tend to, you know, almost tend to, tend to shit on for having too many big riffs. Oh yeah, no, that that's one thing that I would. That or I would like say like about. not and not in the real sense of big riff, right? Not in the sense of the effortlessly melodic cavern riff. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's like, highly highly what... labored florid melodies that just keep going. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I get that. And that's mm. that's one thing I would disagree with you on because, like, uh, you know, f for the record, me and the Black Metal guy have very divergent opinions on Vothana. You really don't like them. I no, like No, no, I don't hate Vothana. I just, I think Vothana's kind of cool. I just think that the the influence it has had has been, it's not his fault either. I just think it's had a, like, people have picked up on the wrong shit from that. Yeah, it's McGlaw effect type shit. Yeah, exactly. Like, I listen to Miglaw a lot. I will admit that. on the, I've said it before, but I, I listen to Miglaw a lot. I just, I just <laughs> bit, bitch about how other people hear it. But it's like, I mean, Vothana has, like, a special ability to pluck out pop melodies from black metal riffs. Like, he's got a, an unnatural talent at it. This is, like, stock. Like, the cool pretty melody is like we've heard it a hundred times before but anyway okay so here let's let we're gonna follow directly off your sample from the first track and here is a a thing that would be perfectly fine if it weren't for the pure fucking cynicism with which it was written in so hey are you ready for uh you know kind of like stompy oi part but with kind of an emo riff are you are, are we done with that yet 
Are we fucking done with that yet, Black Metal Guy? Are we? Have we heard enough tapes with that cool juxtaposition? Because it's like kind of soft and kind of heavy, bro. Jesus Christ! It's evanescent structure reaching its way into black metal. God damn it! All right, let's just do this. I'm going under, going under, <laughs> drowning in you, drowning in you. I'm falling forever. It's just like, bro, when that drop happens and the clean guitar comes in with, like, the flanger on it, it, like, mm. really makes me think about, like, what am I doing with my life? And, like, spiritually, like, what does all this mean? And then it kicks back in with that sick fucking blast beat. And then it just kind of... And it carries, that, it carries that riff through over that really aggro black metal shit. You know, like really old school shit like Vothana, you know. <laughs> God, I can't even fucking do the joke, man. It just, it yeah, sucks, yeah. dude. It's, it's it's so fucking, like, empty, you know. You know, the other thing about, like, Vothana is he, the whole thing is just, like, he has an ear. And yeah. even the things that are pop melodies are actually coming from, like, early 20... I think he's referencing sort of like early 20th century music hall music and like military band music and stuff like that. Right? Yeah, there's there's it's earnest this, weirdness to it. Yes. Wh- whereas this is, um, well, certainly not earnest or weird. Well, yeah, it's a, it's it's structured like, like I mean, God, I mean, doesn't that tell you everything? That clean guitar break. Doesn't that tell you how fucking I mean, artificial this like whole thing is? It's like Dashboard Confessional, you know? Like, no, Dashboard has better riffs. That's <laughs> sad, sadly, Death Metal Guy, I think I agree with you. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like, discernible... Yeah, like, having... It's way better to have a discernible idea than to have a bunch of notes slurring around over each other in this kind Dashboard, of... <laughs> Dashboard riffs have shape. 
Like think of yeah, think of two wave patterns interfering with each other. That's what this sounds like. Exactly. Like I may not like how a dashboard confessional riff is shaped, but it has a shape. So I. Oh God, should I even do this? Because honestly, I I feel so antagonistic. I really just want to like. The sheer number of people leaving reviews for this on Bandcamp is. Oh, do you want to read them? Uh, I I. It pisses me off. Like it's you know, really bit because it, because you know what you know what the issue is with the reviews on Bandcamp. It, it's the fact that they are just as low effort as, as the music yeah. as the music itself. You know, it's it's there's people in the review saying, "Oh, I just wish I knew what the band name was." Like right, you couldn't like, throw that on Google Translator, you couldn't go to Metal Archives and figure that shit out. Like, mm-hmm. like the the people who are into this, who are leaving reviews talking about none of these people is, listen to metal. Yeah, they're not. They don't fucking care about black metal. They don't realize that what they're listening to is like a fucking joke, man. Like this is, or even just, my God, some of the shit people are saying here. Oh. Here's a sample off one of the reviews. By the way, open this in Chrome or whatevs and slap that translate button if you're in the States because all the text is worth reading. Oh, the text that <laughs> I prove in the description of this episode is stolen from uh, like an Indian BuzzFeed equivalent. You know? Let's see. Um, another one. Oh, here's a great one. A fascinating blend of influences. Spiritual mellow black of the Buddhist variety. Proof that so-called... <laughs> oh, hold on. Proof that so-called black metal is merely a template. All oh, things shit. are permitted. Oh, shit. Um, is, this band, is this band, like, reinventing the template in the way that the template was reinvented by Liturgy and Merker ten years ago? Well, you know what? I'm... You know what? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll just fucking close with this. We personally know uh, people making very serious and very good Buddhist black metal. That is true. And they would conduct a home invasion on this guy. Is that it? Do we end it there? Um, not that the death metal guy was calling for or in any way recommending that or uh, in any way suggesting that that would be desirable. Thank you. Thank you. This brought to you by the Terminus legal team. But if it happened, <laughs> it happened. Hi, this is Taylor from Crushing the Scepter, and you're listening to Terminus Podcast. All right, we are back uh, with a much better record. <laughs> this time we have Swarm with I Dreamed on Long Legs, Long Arms Records. And uh, this is a phenomenal album uh, from a band that you and I are both really passionate about. Um, when did you first hear about Swarm? God, I think we both knew about Swarm on the internet and in probably like, 2009 right yeah yeah it's um um, i don't know when i like 
It's it's entire dude. It, just given how the internet worked back then, it's entirely possible that I never heard a full Swarm record until a couple years ago, when um, yeah yeah when their last uh, you know also at that time I was really focused on finding out about black metal and shit right so it's just like okay this is a cool like back then they called it right they called it melodic grindcore yeah at least <laughs> at least the p- various people who were not the band themselves but various people marketing it and ver- various people who were interested about it there were a few other bands like that can you remember oh, like japanese God. japanese well i mean it's it's hard to it's hard to remember how it was perceived back then cuz swarm is a, a really interesting band cuz mm-hmm. you know swarm Swarm is like this exclave of strange, like deep cut Japanese extreme music ideas that kind of accidentally ended up around the metal scene. Like, I I feel like more metal people listen to Swarm than like punk people now, which is strange. No, I think that may have been true back then and has reversed. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, because I um, think they're back then there was the a scene. flicker there was a flicker of interest in them in the metal scene, possibly by a connection to stuff like like Kathy Slime. Yeah, because I, I think they kind of peaked in the metal scene with their third album, Black mm-hmm. Bong, which is kind of their <laughs> most metallic record. Well that's that's certainly that's pretty metal. Oh Black Bong is great. I was yeah. listening to that earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um so to, so to describe Swarm, um I guess I guess Swarm is based off of a core of Japanese screamo. Would you yep. say that's fair? Yes. Um, and uh, before our listeners run for the hills, what we mean is not that screamo, right? Um, <laughs> right. We're, we're you know we're talking about the kind of screamo from the '90s that had blast beats and this kind of weird convergent evolution with black metal uh yeah page you know, the famous orchid. famous bands are yeah. orchid page 99 like there's like they get some band called like ray in that i barely know uh, or satia rather um satia is big not that i listen to them but um from those bands if you but if you're a metal person and you want to hear like what screamo sounded like in a way that will really appeal to you one odd god prophecy yeah um one I God prophecy like sounds like mayhem um, and is really cool, but um, but basically just sort of intense grinding melodic hardcore music from the '90s is the basis for that. Japan has an array of bands that did did that with a uh, you know maybe a more metallic degree of intensity. The most famous is Envy. Yeah, um, Envy's uh, the biggest one. They're yeah. the emblem of Japanese screamo, right. which is very, a style in and of itself. Very heavy blasting, burly growling vocals, like pretty black metal proximate, right? Um, yeah, but Japanese. also these sort of, also these sort of like manically sort of, uh, it's kind of like, like possibly really sad but extremely manic major key melodies and things like that. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a crucial part to not just swarm, but a lot of Japanese music in general. You mm-hmm. know these these ecstatic yet kind of psychotic, you know, psychotically melodies. Yeah, yeah, mel- like melancholy. Right, swarm specifically really zeroes in on that, and on like like envy is kind of like envy is has a more maybe more 
Envy's more measured. It's more, it's, yeah, but it's also more conventionally brooding and maybe more conventionally heroic. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, it, like, it has a sense of, like, Sturmundrang that you could hear in black metal and that you could get in, like, Screamo Screamo, too. I mean, I don't know, like, I listened to Thursday when I listened to Envy. Like, and, like, you know, yeah. Thursday, it's like, you know, you're the... You're, you're, you're the angsty, brooding, romantic protagonist with your hair swept across your eyes, right? Looking away, kind of, right? Um, you know, uh, and Envy kind of had that. Swarm is just totally deranged. Um, <laughs> yes. This is, like, their last record was called Beginning to Break. Um, and this was, I think, from 2019. Uh, and this is the this is the first one I really listened to completely, and it's it's quite different from this new one. But the the basic structures are the same, which is it's this kind of um, jangling, uh, jangling, very clean toned guitar on that record with wildly accelerating, decelerating, blasting drums, and this extraordinarily charismatic vocal performance that is like. Uh, manly, heavily vocal, fried, deep-voiced Japanese singing. Yeah. Like, the... like sort of like if you think about, a, for, for shit, you know, lowbrow low reference point, the really deep male voices and some anime voices, like mm-hmm. that, that sort of mannered, hyper-masculine style, but like a guy who's just, who's, uh, who's just like, He's lost his job and he's at the karaoke bar, right? Yes, yes. Um, and it will and it will seamlessly flow from that into much more aggressive. Like, well, it's all pretty aggressive, but it'll seamlessly flow <laughs> into like you know, uh, like like hardcore roars and like screamo. There, there's great great screeching backing vocals and shit. It's well. I mean, really, what we're circling around is the fact that there's really nothing comparable to Swarm. I mean, you can you can get around the edges mm-hmm. of the ideas of this band, but really, I mean, Swarm has been around for um, twenty five years at this point. Shit. And you know, the amazing thing is, like, it's basically been the same. It's been the same lineup apart from the vocalist, I think, for the entire time. They, they've moved between a few different vocalists, but the, the instrumental core of the band has always been the same. Yeah. And um, so... And it, what's also interesting is that this is a band that has... Clearly, these guys listen to a lot of extreme metal. Yeah. But the way it's incorporated into their particular style of music is very unusual. Um, this is... I mean, we can't really call this a... I mean, this is not a heavy metal record, by any means. Um, I'm thinking before you go to the... You've got some more stuff on that. I'm thinking little structural change-up, especially since we skipped some samples on that crappy album we just reviewed. Uh, um... Do you? How about we do a little uh, mini sample that will capture? Sure. In some way, this is the most overtly metal part on the record, and it's in like the first first song. But like, yeah. it'll immediately capture for our listeners. Okay, this is different. It's different from the sort of fractured, herky jerky, glass shattering American screamo stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, 
So this yeah, is yeah. from this track is I called. Put the, I put the translated titles in for you. All right, this one is the answer. Track one, starting from right. zero zero. You know, from from the first moment, you know, this, I mean, this is a record with, you know, more intense and some softer moments, but it, it, like, it's, it's so exciting. It's so gripping the entire time. You're always waiting to see what they do. Um, It's, (laughs) and and of course, obviously it sounds really fucking weird and cool. (laughs) You know, yeah, it's, um. Yeah, so they come in with that just like, I mean, we we talked about how the blasting is um, like very steady, spaced, and extremely heavy. Yeah, it's like, like it's, it's like it, it's like death grind blasting. It's not the kind yeah, of like, I, yeah, it's yeah, it's very. My, my sure comparison was war. My comparison was war metal, but either way, right? It's yeah, mm-hmm. very yeah, sure of um, itself. Yeah. And then you've got the these big, major key yet still very aggressive riffs, and uh, I think that's that's kind of where the uh, what you were saying earlier the Lycathia Flame comparison comes mm-hmm. from. You know, one of the only other bands to make that the defining element of their sound, but that's what Swarm's been doing for a quarter century now. <laughs> And even the first riff, like that, that's like kind of a metal riff, right? It's like da 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 da. da. You know, that could be, um, y- you know, there's certain kinds of the more uh, the more melodic war metal stuff that sounds more kind of martial rather than chaotic. You could hear that. Um, almost well, it could also sp- like spider like staggering riff. <laughs> if you stagger the rhythm out a little bit, I mean, it could be like an Iron Maiden thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but it's just like, but even that, which is kind of riffy, it's just mm-hmm. a chord progression. Yeah, that's an important thing. This is not riff-based music in the way we think of it in the metal circuit. Yeah, so this is song-based music. Um yeah. And in extreme metal, when we say, we talk about a band having actual songs, right? Which we do sometimes on this show, right? What we mean is sort of like, we don't mean, first of all, that that's better than not having actual songs. Like, for instance, like the best, the the purest extreme metal, I think we think often doesn't have songs, right? The, The middle of rain and blood, right, is not songs. 
Um, forest, forest is not. Forest songs. is not songs. Yeah, hate forest is not songs. Um, you know, like uh, every other band with forest in the name is not songs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, y- you know, um, I mean, a-, a lot of the second wave stuff is not conventionally like. I mean, yeah, they have cool parts and shit, but they don't really work like songs. Oh yeah, under um, a funeral moon is not songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. When we think about things that have song structures, right, we're usually talking about heavy metal songs, right? Or maybe if we're thinking of something kind of pagan, maybe we're thinking folk songs or kind of maybe maybe if it's America, maybe kind of outlaw ballady thing, right? But and we tend to associate this with a, a certain kind of musical conservatism, right? That is mm-hmm. like not in a bad sense, but just this sense that like okay, we're going to keep black and death metal grounded in these older musical traditions. Right, we're gonna make it. It's gonna have this. A good example of this is dissection, right? Like every song on "Storm of the Lights" Bane is extreme metal, but every single song on that is a heavy metal song. Yes, um, and it's very conservative. Like it is not. That is not um, sort of uh, groundbreaking in the way that um, Demisterius is, or even the early Emperor shit is. Um, uh, but like. Um, so a good example of this recently would be something like when we heard the Thule Grimoires, right? From Roads of Everest. Mm, it's yeah. like, like great record. We fucking love it. Right. Um, but within the sort of extreme metal parlance, it's, it's way more song oriented. It sounds like typo negative, right? Sounds yeah. more like fields of the Nephilim. And so we're like, okay, this is awesome. But I think to us and probably to everyone else, it's like obviously less crazy, right? Less yes. ambitious, less extreme. Right. Um, doesn't mean less masterful, just after a different thing. Mm-hmm. So here, that is not the case, right? This band is using song, song-based song writing to make music that is boundary-pushing and, like, totally demented. Yeah, this is a complete mastery of... I mean, this is... There's, there's so many angles to view this music from, mm-hmm. but... The, there's an there's a certain idea of taking almost like old style rock songs, maybe mm-hmm. from the '60s or '70s, and pushing them so far that they resemble extreme metal. If you took the chords for almost all these songs and changed the rhythms and stretched them out, they could be various kinds of rock based songs. Absolutely, I I, I think the core melodic function on this record is kind of an alt-rock thing which is, again I I want to stress, people that find this interesting should check out the entire discography from Swarm because there's different angles on every album for this band. There's 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 records that are more extreme metal, there's records that are more screamo yeah, um, yeah. but here yeah this record is sort of similar in basic idea to beginning to break, but it is more distorted and more aggressive. It's like beginning to break is in some sense, in some sense, even crazier because it's like more jangly and less like metal. But this is, this record is more just sort of, uh, has a, has a, um, you know, closer, like, the reason we keep likening it to metal has something to do with also the specifics of this record. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, well, it's, it's one of those things that is like, 
like I was saying, the idea of the it's like an exclave of a certain style. That what do you mean by exclave? Um, you know, like uh, you've got a a a certain community that mm. like immigrates to another region and creates its own mini society. Mm, so sort of opposite of enclave, like a, a group yeah. within a, a, a an enclave is a group within a group, right? So yeah, this, this is, is like a, a group extreme music <laughs> transplanted to Japan and developing independently. Yeah, yeah. Or imagine like raccoons in Germany that you know got imported there and then got loose and created their own families and stuff. Um, because one of the that closest great. bring oh, yeah, raccoons to pa- Germany, I say. No, there's there's parts of northern Germany that have giant raccoon infestations because they wanted to hunt them for fur. I was uh, reading about mm-hmm. this the other day. It's very weird, but <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. But um, so uh, one thing I'd like to talk about is like it, as far as like metal people will understand one of the things that this is closest to, uh, which is an understood influence for Swarm, is Discordance Axis and by association Gridlink. Um, which is another band that, uh, well, two bands, but, you know, basically the same band, um, that is, for, in its creative essence, half Japanese, because you've got Takafumi Matsubara on guitar for both of those bands, who is incorporating a lot of these sort of Japanese heavy music ideas, um, there's a lot of major key stuff. There's an incredible technical ability uh, and just a, a strange fusion of punk ideas, old heavy metal ideas, rock ideas, as well as just this sprawl of noisy, beautiful kind of art ideas, you know, sprinkled over everything. Um, and I, I, I think as far as what metal people will understand, that's probably the closest approximation we can get is something like Gridlink. Oh, and yeah, for people who are more, say, like, uh, you know, um, punk to black metal pipeline, right? Uh, think about mm. Confuse. I'm guessing these guys really like Confuse. Um, I uh, actually turned on Spending Loud Night pretty recently, and it's still fucking great. Um, <laughs> but... Um, you, you've still... talked about that multiple times. I, I still have to listen to that one. Oh, shit. Maybe I'll play it as the uh, outro. Do um, it. Yeah, let's do dude, some we'll Confused. Dude, con- we'll do some Confused for the outro. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll do the All of Spending Loud Night. It's pretty short. Um, it's, the, the, loud, <laughs> the Loud Night goes very quickly. Um, it's But, the but like, that's in terms of that transplant effect, I think we've mentioned them on the show. It's like, what happens when discharge is transplanted to Japan? Well, people pick up on different things. They pick up on the noise in the guitar tone rather than the sort of, like, uh, brutalist dissonant intervals and stuff, at least with Confuse in that tradition, right? Mm-hmm. And so Confuse has this kind of, uh, you know, like, the, the guitar, the note choice on the guitar is way closer to, like, GBH or Buzzcocks or, like, perky major key punk rock, but it just sounds like it's falling down in an alley. Right. Um, and and so like this band is pro is tapped into a similar like confused sounds more genuinely fun than this if you like a strange idea of a good time like this is mm-hmm. much more sort of des- <laughs> this is more sort of desperate music but um the idea of major key aggression that is strangely exuberant uh goes right back to confuse i think okay 
Yeah, I yeah. can vibe on that. Well, let's let's do uh, let's do a sample, and then we'll we'll talk for another hour about yeah, like keep, random keeps, music shit. Yeah. All right. So, um, tears, track three. We're gonna go in thirty seconds in. You will still hear the massive drum sound. You will still hear the unhinged aggression, but you will notice some things that set this apart from anything familiar in Black or Death or Grindcore. single guitar phrase that descending phrase you know what that's actually kind of like that cavern riff i sampled yeah yeah it is you know just keep moving the root note around and create a sort of meta melodic structure just through those like longer intervals yeah and so what what you got there right that is chord progression music right especially yeah. when it you know, you, even when the blast beat hits, dum, 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 right? That is very resolute, very martial, more samurai sword than you might expect for this stuff. But um, <laughs> but still, chord progression, eh? Um, and then it turns around. And then it, there's drums just slap up to this, like, it's not a proper D beat exactly, but it just snaps into this sort of, like, like loose punk beat, right? And it yeah. just starts, the guitar starts in on that. And we get these kind of like jangling, kind of noir, noir movie punk chord progressions. Yeah, uh, it's it's so unique. You know, it, it's something that can only come from outside of metal, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was trying to think, what's this like? And as I was listening to it again, well, we, we were talking before the show, it's like, in some sense... One reason it's so fun to play the what the hell does this sound like game is because it's so inapplicable here. Yes. Like, because, like, 
you know, there's a certain kind of pretentious band who in an interview will say, I, if you ask them about their interviews, they'll say, I don't know, man, we just play music, uh, right? <laughs> if you ask Swarm about their influences, I'm sure they could give you like 50 really cool names, right? Probably 25 yes. of which you haven't heard of. Um, and they would, too, right? They wouldn't be pretentious about it. However, this is a band that just plays music, right? Yes. So, like, when I was listening through it again, I was listening, if you focus in on that lead guitar, right? Not the bass, but the the more sustained lead that is paired with the arpeggios. That's like Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You by Zeppelin. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Or that kind of gets back to the... Yeah, that's. I mean, that goes back to the idea of like 60s and 70s rock as a, a foundational idea for this record. So, so there's 60s and 70s rock, and there's also, I mean, what I think for me, the reference point that comes up for explaining this kind of guitar style, which is one of the recurring guitar styles on the record, not the only one, you're about to get to the other one, uh, <laughs> is like, yeah, this kind of like rockish, jangling, uh, bohe you know, sort of uh, city cool guy punk music that was... Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's still... I mean, like, I just haven't paid attention to music like this since I was a teenager. Uh, I think it's still respected, but, like, uh, probably has less capital than it did in the early 2000s. Um, and so, like, you could think of... Um, there was a band I really liked back then called the Libertines, who I would still say are really good, sort of, um, uh, but more than that older stuff, you could think of Iggy Pop's The Passenger, which has this kind of like, and also from that time, around that time, uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Do you know Richard Hell? Oh, dude, that's... <laughs> Just looking at the name, no, that's way well, outside. <laughs> I'm just thinking, have you heard the name, right? Uh, I, I actually you know, have not, yeah. So there's like 76, like, I can't remember if this record was 76 or 77, but um, he was also in a band called Television that was very... Television, I know, yeah. Yeah, so Television is pretty cool and doesn't really sound anything like what you would expect punk to sound like, right? Um a lot of these bands from New York sound more like quote unquote post punk than like mm -hmm. you know the Dead Boys, but um, actually this sounds kind of like the Dead Boys too, and that's very rock based. <laughs> but um, so d yeah, actually, Dead Boys might not be a bad reference for this band, but um, Richard Allen the Voidoids, Blank Generation for this kind of a uh, swinging European cafe by way of New York kind of like punk thing you'll you'll hear what i mean it's 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 very difficult to pin down but it was a it was a thing um all right let's go for it Falling at the window as the doctor 
kind of hear what I mean. Yeah, well, it's it's also interesting how it scans, because mm-hmm. for me, that scans is very, like, I mean, that's just straight, like, blues rock to me. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, that's the point. Like, a lot of this stuff that gets identified as punk was kind of out of step with where punk went. I mean, it's, but the progressions, yeah, it's kind of bluesy, but those are, like, minor key, almost like Django Reinhardt, European kind of things, aren't they? Well, I mean, I, I think that's, like, latent jazz seeping in. For sh- yeah, that for sure, too. I mean, you know, the guys, punk guys of the 70s were a lot more interested in jazz often than in much of the, than in, like, Grand Funk Railroad. Right? Well, I, and um, I think that's, I think that's an important part of Swarm also. And also, you know, to make it more meta, an important part of Japanese music. Um, yeah, I, I think I see where you're going with this. Well, this is something I was thinking of today at work, um, because I'm a, I'm a big like Japanese music guy. I think it's weird. really interesting. <laughs> That's the weird thing. I, I'm really interested in Japan, but anime no, doesn't no, do I, much for I me. Know, I know you're not. Um, I know. Oh, yeah. To clarify for the listeners, for the new people uh, who are showing up to the Swarm review, I guess. <laughs> but uh, um, so. Japanese rock and metal is so interesting because it has a different starting point, you know, because the, you know, this is reductive, but to call the first influence of Japanese, or excuse me, Western music in Japan is with uh, American soldiers after the occupation in World War II, who brought over jazz and very kind of like primival blues music um to japan so for the japanese who are adopting rock and later punk and metal styles their starting point is completely different they don't have a history of say big band and ragtime and stuff like that um so you know you're starting from almost this blank slate uh, where they start incorporating jazz and blues, and they start naturally folding in their own kind of folk melodies into that, which I think is one of the reasons why Japanese music, you know, be it Eastern or Western, whatever those things mean nowadays, is so distinctive, you know, because their starting point is so very different from most places. Um, and it feels to me like those little details from jazz and blues and stuff like that are always kind of inherently there. You know, um, you can hear it to a degree in Swarm's music. You know, you can hear these kind of jazzy inflections in the rhythm section. Uh, You can hear these big primary color, as you say, you know, major key riffs uh, occurring throughout the music. And uh, I just I, I always find it fascinating the well, idea. I that... think I think the rhythmic interplay here would be fairly jazz related. Oh, on the Richard Hell? No, 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 on, on on the Swarm. Oh no, yeah, no, the Swarm is no, way more rhythmically interesting than the Richard Hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the Richard Hell still has that jazz touch to it. So. Oh no, it's 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 swung heavily. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like Swarm, like the. Uh, I, I, you know, like there's um, there's ways that jazz drummers blast, which are closer to this sometimes, um, but also just 
you know, the, 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 the constant change-ups, right? Relative to a lot of extreme metal, relative to a lot of hardcore, this involves, you know, frequent rhythmic change-ups, frequent melodic change-ups, not in a spazzy grindcore way, but it's mm-hmm. very dynamic music, and the cleaner tones on the guitar, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, here, let's hear one of yours. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, oh, I should probably play more samples, right? All right, so... Off a track four, even if it is invisible place, um, wonderful song, uh, and here we're gonna get towards what you would call the softer side of Swarm. So you'll hear a lot of the post-punk and emo kind of ideas at work in this music, but the the extreme metal and the grind always pushes its way in, and the aggregate effect of all these influences is really different. You know, it, they're, they're, <laughs> I, this is something I'm going to stress throughout us talking about this. There's really nothing you can compare this band to. You know, they have this defined style, this internal logic that is wonderful to listen to, but also basically impossible to compare to any other band. So let's listen to, you know, like the two-thirds of this song. And uh, I, I think you'll have better reference points uh, regarding mm-hmm. this than I will. So let's uh, let's see what you think on this one. Alright. <laughs> It's the best music ever made. Jesus Christ. What the that fuck, just, man? That just sort of roll that sort of sort of rolling arpeggios over the blast is just like so pretty. Oh, and it's then, like Jesus Christ. It's like it, it has a resemblance to so many things, but it doesn't mm-hmm. lock in 
to anything else. It's when it throws into that like da 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 da. You know, that's yeah. like just that is just straight up emo. Yeah, right? no, like, it's it's and it. I can't put my finger on what it like. You know, I, I had a I had a distant relationship to emo when it was happening, and I was also too young to know the really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, you know, I just wasn't tapped in. So, like, I can't tell you great reference points for this, but, like, that parts like that just have this sort of... It sounds like New Jersey. Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has, like, that has this sort of suburban desolation thing that was big in American for American bands in the early 2000s. It's very early 2000s sounded, I can tell you that. But it's mm-hmm. just completely transposed. Um, and yeah, like a riff like that, it, it's like, it's bleak, but also kind of upbeat. Yeah, like, you're, you're, you know, you're um, finding your own life in this suburban desolation. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're finding who you are amidst like. everything around you. Something. You know, it's like, now fucking embrace it, whatever. We'll we'll be lame for this section. It's fine. <laughs> I, I I refrain from being lame. Um, but uh, I'm always lame. But uh, no, w- w- one thing that really compels me about this is so most of the tracks on this record are basically verse chorus based, but there's so much subtlety in the way they articulate the transitions between these passages. Um, just these. You know, just going between the first chorus and going back into the verse, that little trill of the guitar, that little spacer as the drums kick back in. Yeah, they like add a add a little time there, right, or something. Yeah, it's like it, it's such a simple technique, but it's executed so elegantly, like more elegantly than maybe any like regular emo track that I've heard. You know, oh it's like, sure, this is this is at a level of like technical skill and just like I mean they're playing within rock structures but they're not wedded to them right yeah yeah um and they have a so when they want to they can just do something like that um, yeah they are you know they're sort of like um. Yeah, they're they're taking conventions that come from emo and just kind of rockish melodic punk from back then, and uh, like sort of using those, bending those forms to their own uses, right? Uh, yeah, with with uh, considerable freedom. Um, it's well, and you know reminding people, even people like me who neg on stuff like that, of why it's so innately. Feeling like that, that you know, that you know, the finding yourself in the suburbs riff, as you said, like it sounds fucking <laughs> great here. Yeah, it's outstanding. Well, another thing I would compare this to, um, I I've talked to you about them, but I don't think I've mentioned them on the show. Uh, the Appleseed cast. Yeah, I don't know who this band is. Uh, this the Appleseed cast is. I think, a... I, think I, I think I listened to it when you told me about them. Yeah, so they're kind of emo, kind of indie, kind of alt-rock, and kind of prog at the same time. 
just incredibly sophisticated musicians playing kind of emo-inspired music. And Mm -hmm. uh, every record is very different. Uh, But they tend to have a lot of the same kind of jazzy rhythmic variations that Swarm does. Um, The... uh, the their first record, I think it's called The End of the Ring Wars, is phenomenal and is an honorary extreme metal record. You know, it's that kind of thing. You know, um, it's wonderful. And I bet these guys probably listen to them. You know, just this juxtaposition of elements that, you know, creates this this wonderful, elegant core you know, that all of their music revolves around. Um, another thing I would compare it to, um, maybe a little bit off-center, but my favorite record of last year, uh, the Contrastic record, Montel, you know, is like... Oh, for sure there's a relationship to that. I imagine those guys are, like, listening to Japanese... I, I imagine yeah, those... Yeah. I mean, Montel is kind of from the same context as Lycathia, right? Yeah, a little bit. Just the idea of, like, what if we do intensely abrasive, grinding music? Uh, excuse me, Mammon. You know, Monton is an unrelated band. Um, yeah, true, yeah, true, 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 true. Yeah, Mammon. Um, just this wonderful and extremely clear melodic definition against these abruptly contrasting rhythmic configurations. Now, obviously, there's substantial differences between that and between Swarm's music, but there's a certain kernel of appreciation for the the possible evolutions of emo. Well, it's it's also of sort of just grinding and sweet, grinding but sweetly consonant, right? Oh um, yeah, you know, mod, uh, like uh, you know, Contrastic has that. And I, I would guess that, like, Contrastic has music, like, they probably just listen to a swarm and a bunch of this stuff, and probably vice versa, right? Like, yeah, those sorts of those sorts of Czech grind bands are probably closer to these Japanese screamo bands than any other sort of set. Definitely closer than it is to, like, death metal. Yeah, yeah closer than, yeah, closer than it is to a lot of what people think of as grindcore, whatever, right? Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. So, uh, you know, um, we were talking about this before the show. I guess we t- already talked a lot about this band before the show because we were just shooting the shit about it. But um, we've got um, track six, I Dreamed. Um, so, you know, even though this basically all of the raw material here in terms of the guitars is, uh, and, you know, really the vocals in some ways is, is coming from outside extreme metal and is working with these song conventions that you know are more rock based or maybe jazz based um this really to us also perfectly qualifies as extreme metal right? yeah in in part maybe due to the critical distance or not critical like in part maybe just due to the way that this band is warping those structures as they see fit right um but like so given how much right black metal has changed and expanded a lot even relative to when swarm was popular in the metal scene right Mm -hmm. uh so which would have been like you know yeah the late late oos um yeah so so 
we're now so there's like so much kind of lush and melodic black metal across the spectrum right really depends you know there's shitty versions there's awesome versions there's tons of different genres that have gone in directions like that tons of different subgenres. um and you know it's explored different kinds of emotional territory different themes for better and worse so like we're now in a place where this record basically qualifies as black metal if you want it to <laughs> i can see like, that yeah and so uh listen to uh listen to this uh i uh, think uh what did this riff and the next riff remind you of from i dreamed <laughs> all right Answer. Oh, I mean, you wrote it in the notes, but yes, Maquahito, all the way. Yeah, that was a leading question. Um, yeah. Like, I yes, I have been um enjoying listening to At the Altar of McLampa lately, at least until Bandcamp deleted it again. Um, but uh, it's it's one of those sort of uh soaring sort of like gothic arch melodies that uh, Makuahito does um, and uh, what they have in common at a deeper level also is this tendency to write electric guitar songs as just first and foremost guitar songs right like yeah I can see that you know like with a focus on like you could play these clean and they'd sound virtually the same right so you've got the cleaner tone this kind of clean, spacious, open tone, uh, emphasis on kind of trebly without being sharp, um, or, or, or cold or harsh, uh, kind of warm trebly, right? Uh, you know, and lots of bar chords and just like more notes in the chords and more cult, like fully fleshed out chord guitar and, and like, um, you know, what Makuhito does is even though his music is extremely riffy, right? And that last it is also kind of chord progression based, especially on the last EP, right? Especially on mm -hmm. Gregorio Cortez. But like a lot of those songs you can map out with chord progressions and especially in certain parts of them. And yeah, 
Oh, yeah, Wilkins agrees. Um, <laughs> Wilkins and, uh, does agree. Yeah, yeah, Wilkins has actually tabbed those. Um, <laughs> but, um... Uh, tabby cat at him. Anyway, um... But, uh... But, yes, you can sort of, uh... There, this sort of organic approach to what extreme music guitar could sound like is very similar to what Makuhito is doing, right? And it's almost certainly convergent evolution, but it's a meaningful parallel. Well, yeah, because the idea is like viewing the roots of Western guitar, you know, the, the idea of building off of the natural intervals provided by natural whole chords you know and playing with them playing with those natural intervals and uh no yeah i can i can absolutely see what you're saying there it's uh constructing new ideas based off of melodic intervals that are basically inherent to us that we've been mm -hmm. hearing since we were kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's a, you know, and another way that this could be, you know, could sort of scratches the black metal itch is that although, yeah, there are some finding your place in the suburbs parts and there is a, definitely this is sort of sentimental music, right? It's also sort of passionate in a way that, uh, breaks down that wall between the inside and the outside or the individual and the world beyond, right? Like it would be hard to call this introverted music or if it's introverted, it's like introverted in the way that like, you know, the end of Akira is introverted, right? It's, it's explosive. You know, yeah. it's the, yeah. the introversion exploding out from yes. too much tension and too much emotion. It's, it's music of passion. Yeah. 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 And you know, like, there's plenty of post-black stuff that's sort of trying to claim similar territory, and this wipes the floor with pretty much all of it, right? I oh, mean, yeah. th the only thing I can think of that would be, you could really say is kind of post-black, that is this good, is maybe the first Vega Dude album. Yeah, that's that's um, about it. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, it, it, it's... It has a much more natural way of accessing the emotions that post-black tries to access. That's for sure. That's for sure. All right. So, last sample. The ninth track, Canary. Um, so, we don't talk a lot about vocals on this podcast mm -hmm. because, I mean, in extreme metal, a lot of the time they're pretty stock. You know, if they're exceptional, we talk about them. But, you know, if they're not... Usually they just kind of blend into the background. You know, we're concentrating on riffs. But here, I'm I'm okay with saying this is... God damn it, Wilkins. What are you doing? He doesn't <laughs> want his vocals to blend into the background. <laughs> he does not. He wants them right up front. Um, so, Canary, though, um, I, I'm okay with saying this... God damn it, Wilkins. Jesus. <laughs> My wife went to bed, and he wants into the bedroom. Um, so I, I'm okay with saying this is probably going to be one of, if not the best vocal performance of the year on this record. It's just absolutely outstanding. It, it's beautiful. And, uh, I decided to pick a sample that really showed that off. 
mm-hmm. so we've got Canary, and uh, there's also, you know, again, reaching back to that, like, 60s, 70s rock and roll feeling mm-hmm. at the opening. And honestly, there's nobody that could get away with this song except for Swarm. <laughs> <laughs> As much as going on on guitar throughout this record, um, this is kind of vocal-led music in a way, mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. the vocals are at least a, a sort of Greek chorus to the music. No, I know? think no, I think the vocals are really. I, I like the center. I agree. Yeah, no, and uh, th- th- the vocal style here is something that I think a lot of like metal vocalists could learn from. The idea of kind of blending these tones, not having to stick with a certain style to really engage with it more organically than a lot of metal vocalists do. You know, just like actually feel where you are, man. <laughs> Don't think of it as like structurally as we're inclined to do in metal. Yeah, like, not like, there is a vocal sound, and I must produce the vocal sound over the guitars. Um, Yeah, I mean, part of it, of course, is that there's a technical skill thing. Like, this guy can... To some degree, people... uh, There are people in punk who do more the sort of melodic clean thing, or the harsh melodic vocals more commonly. Um, Mm -hmm. But, um... You know, he the the art of like singing with really heavy fry, and then seamlessly sliding that into crazier stuff, mm-hmm. is you know it's it's difficult. Um, the people who do that well in metal, like pe- people who hit a style kind of like this in metal, would be you know Alan from Primordial, 
but he is not his whole thing is that he is not really totally in control the boys right he's uh mm-hmm. he's 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 a guy with a big voice who is uh yelling um and th- this guy is a the the guy from swarm is like just he's a singer man right um oh yeah the the other person i've heard from metal who's nailed it is um the early Solstafir records um that mm, guy could okay. sort of so go from this sort of throaty throaty roar into a yell into this sort of like plaintive plaintive singing um really cool stuff uh um you know carl mccoy from fields of the nephilim would have been an inspiration for that guy and probably for alan but like uh but like yeah it's people who can ride that continuum are very rare um and this guy also can toggle into just pure like some of that is just clean singing right or not sorry the whole idea of calling it cleans is stupid in this context right these are just he's just singing everything is on a gradient and and to some degree maybe what we need to get rid of is the idea of clean vocals harsh vocals like i guess a thing that is would be good would be if how can you make fry based sort of uh screaming vocals sound more like singing even if you're just shrieking for the whole song oh actually uh thinking about it now a obvious comparison fucking attila yeah that's true although like I mean, this, the vocals are always a little weird. Well, I guess you know more Mayhem than I do. You know, I'm like Demisterius. I feel like the more... The non-rasped or screamed parts are a little more willfully eccentric. I, maybe a little willfully eccentric, but in terms of, you know, his ability to move between styles and to very mm-hmm. organically bend to the will of the music around him... Um, I mean, he's still one of my favorite vocalists of all time. Uh, just because it's so distinct and because he's not singing with the intent of being a black metal vocalist. Yes. Yeah, he's yeah, doing yeah. his own thing yeah. across that record and across newer Mayhem records. And that's something we should really embrace. You know, the idea that as a vocalist, your objective is not just to hit rhythms at a certain tone it's to be a narrator for the process yeah um you know or and also like to channel the music in a meaningful way rather than just being this layer that runs parallel to it Thank you. 
Thank you. 